Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ojano. As always, I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. And next week, there is a third bonus episode, which we're covering 2018 in film. So that the nominees alongside Roma. So that would be the third episode of the bonus episodes. So um, I know this is a bit of an interruption to the flow of the season. Because we're doing the seventies, so there's, so this is gonna be like the midpoint of the season, and we're doing the most recent um, winner of this category. I know, I like shaking things up. So for this episode, we're gonna talk about the film that won Best International Feature Film at the ninety third Academy Awards. That film is Another Round, or in its original language, Druk, which um, translates to binge drinking. That's what it said in Wikipedia. So take that with a grain of salt. So this film is co-written and directed by Thomas Winterberg. So this was Denmark's fourth win and 13th nomination. So this film is about four high school teen, uh, teens, <laughs> teachers, um, Martin, Tommy, Peter, and Nikolai. And, but we focus especially on Martin. You know, he is a history teacher who kind of lost his mojo in his teaching career. And he's also having a disconnected life, disconnected family life. So in the 40th birthday of their friend Nikolai, um, they started to explore the concept of uh, maintaining a 0.05 uh, alcohol level content um, in their blood. And then so that becomes, that becomes their secret game for one another. And then slowly or gradually or quickly, they try to up the stakes of their experiment and then their friendly secret now has effects on their social and professional lives. So that is a quick summary of another round. Um, our guest for this episode is from the United States. He's a writer at Gold Derby and Awards Watch and the host of And the Runner-Up is. I'm so happy to have him back. Please welcome Kevin Jacobson. Hi, Kevin. Hey, thank you for having me back. It's very exciting. And look how far you've come since that very first episode. You're really putting in the hustle. And um, yeah, I think the listeners are really loving your show. So yeah, I'm very, very happy to be here. It's very full circle talking about the next year because we talked about Parasite. So yeah. Oh, gosh. I know it's more <laughs> than a year now. And this is what I've been trying to say. Like, um. I, do, I, I'm not sure if I got better in like, um, you know, the, the pre-recording things, but then <laughs> I just shook again because I remember like in the, but, you know, this is going to be a sweet memory. Anyway, um, I was so nervous in the first recording, so nervous. I was shaking the whole time I was shaking, you know, I look steady here, but my foot were just like shaking the whole time. But you were so kind and so just patient, like, all right, take take it easy. Just, you know, you can do this your thing. Like, thank you. And now I could move around because before I'm just like a stiff corpse talking. Like, and I was so sticking with my bullet points. Like, oh, I have to get everything right. But now it's like, oh, I could chill. But thank you yeah. so much for that kindness. And I'm so happy to have you back on this episode because this is a, a big year in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've just been through this year, which, you know, we know it's been exhausting, like 14 months of Oscars, 14 months of Oscars season. But 
I think you know with a few weeks um, distance, I don't know that that works. I think we can yeah. try to take a look at the films as themselves, and then of course there's a little chatter with the Oscar season, but yeah, we'll try to be more. I don't know, just talking about the films themselves because we we just we're, it's so fresh, like too yeah. fresh, <laughs> too fresh, yeah, too fresh. <laughs> but it's been about a month, but by the time we're recording this, so you know. I'm excited to talk about these films kind of outside of the context of Oscar season, as you were saying. Yes, hopefully, yes. And, you know, the time that allowed, well, me at least, I don't know if you catch up with more, caught up with more, to catch up with the films that were not nominated and to see them as themselves. I think there were a lot of great ones. Yeah, yep. that's why I love kind of delaying. This is the first year, I'm really rambling, I'm sorry, listeners, but um, I love... This is the first year that I've watched all the nominees before the, the ceremony, which is like, yay, the completest me is happy. But at the same time, I kind of enjoy not watching everything beforehand because then I could distance myself like, oh, you know, not in the heat of like, who is the best? Why is he winning? You know, all that drama, which turns into that's why I, full for disclosure, that's why I deactivated my accounts like twice during this award season because like I need to distance myself. But I'm good yep. now. I'm. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, slide into my DMs. We're all good. All right. So, can you tell the listeners where can they find you on the internet? Yes, at Kevin underscore Jacobson. Some people think that's a S O N, but it's a S E N at the end of my name. Um, and the podcast is at Oscar Runner Up. And um, you can find all my writing and my interviews for Emmy season uh, this time of year at goldderby.com yeah there you go and again to our listeners who you know at this point is still sticking with the 70s with me i like you know that your podcast is my favorite i go back to it like you know you finished like your first chapter first chapter yeah. series, but i still go back to it and like i'm always looking forward to what's happening so i'm looking forward to whatever comes when your podcast because it's truly a safe space for Wednesday, you know, when The Handmaid's Tale is not dropping yeah. episodes on Wednesday, I wait for End Run Up is, so. That's very and sweet. Yeah. Maybe after we uh, record, I'll drop a few hints as to what I might be doing next. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Alright, let's forget about another round. Whatever. Alright, so. Alright, so let's get started. Now no, no, I want to rush, but anyway. Alright, so another round. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, another round. Um, this became like kind of the default front runner um there was another default front runner at the beginning of because that was the first film submitted so that was the, technically the default front runner but after okay. quite some time to start that some of the films started coming in this became the default front runner, runner, runner front runner and um i think there were a lot of expectations coming in because you know in this category i don't know if you would agree name name recognition really helps this is Thomas oh, yeah. Vinterberg, um, who was nominated before. Um, his film was nominated before in this category for The Hunt. Mads Mikkelsen is Mads Mikkelsen. So um, a lot of like, you know, it's not something like, oh, this film surprised me. Uh, we have like expectations like, oh, I hope it's going to be good. Or like a trailer coming in. So... What did you think of Another Round when you first saw it? And um, what, what is the difference now that you rewatched it? 
or if is there a difference in the rewatch? Um, I don't. I wouldn't say there was a big difference between my first watch and this most recent watch. Um, I'll just say that when I first watched it, I was, I was already a pretty big fan of the hunt, which you were just talking about. So um, I really liked how that was very morally gray, and uh, it really kind of towed the line into some very delicate uh, subject matter. The idea of being accused of sexual abuse, uh, what that does to you, what that does to a community. I thought it did that in a very nuanced way. So I was pretty excited for this in in tackling, you know, alcoholism and men having a midlife crisis. Um, and I think it does that in a pretty even handed approach. Um, I am a fan of this film. I don't totally love it uh, just because I don't know if I fully connect with these characters in a way that the film wants me to be. Um, but I do think the cast is pretty great all around. Obviously, Mads is delivering one of his best performances. He's just so charismatic and is also just asked to communicate so much of his inner turmoil. And I think um, he succeeds in that. You know, I like that it really shows the ups and downs of drinking and alcoholism where it seems to be you know like improving their jobs as teachers they're much looser and they're able to like connect with the kids better and they go out and they have a great time they feel like they're able to get out of this horrible existence of being middle-aged and actually enjoy life again but then you also have the big you know raucous gatherings that are getting out of hand and martin is like waking up outside on the ground and what happens to Tommy at the end is tragic. Um, there's just a lot of destructiveness and it escalates to the point where you can feel the the dangers of what they're doing. Um, it's weird. It's one of those films for me that I really am into it when I'm watching it because it flows really well and it's very well paced and the journey that they go on is pretty interesting. But then after I'm done with it, it doesn't really leave the biggest impact on me overall part of that might just be that we've seen a lot of stories about men who are struggling with middle age and they're lashing out and they're doing all these drastic things and I don't know if it provides anything new in that regard so um yeah I mean even if I think it's a pretty well-made film I don't necessarily find it to be outstanding necessarily what do you think all right, I'm removing well paced in my notes. It's already taken care of. All right, I'm just kidding. Fair all right, so um, all right, so the hunt. I, I, the hunt is something that I deeply respect. You know, it, it's, it's tough. I think it's a tough film to yeah. craft, and it's a tough film to also watch. Um, like I said in the recording, I didn't in the the 2013 episode. I don't know if you would agree with me on this. I'm not sure if that's gonna be gonna be made now. Um. You know, with all that's happening in the world, but um, I think, got, given that is my only experience of Thomas Winterberg's work, and looking at here another round, you know, this is my rewatch. Nothing much has changed. Yeah. Um, I rewatched this like five in the morning after work because I work nights, so um, I don't know. Uh, I think the strength of this film is to turn things that we take for granted 
and then we use it later or use the same techniques to make us think about those things. Um, you know, what I'm, I'm really fascinated with Thomas Winterberg's Oscar nomination for directing, but later. Um, the thing with this film is that it, when you look at it, like, you know, visually, it's nothing really that sticks out. You know, it's a lot of close-ups and then non, I don't know if this is the right word, non-tripod shots. So you really like have scenes that feel handheld. But when they capture those moments of drinking, especially at the beginning, you know, at the beginning when we see the, the opening scene where the young people of their town are having the this uh, drinking game, um, at first I felt such a disconnect. Um, probably because I don't drink, so people drinking is not fun for me. But <laughs> later, when I see, you know, the same technique of it, it's staying, you know, when the camera is really not shying away from the uglier sides of it. Like, you know, it not like other drinking heavy films where, like, films focus on the joy of drinking. And this one kind of does. I think the film also sits down and sticks with those moments like, you know, what what comes after the fun part? What what um what do we see when it gets ugly? You know, and I think it gets ugly, you know, when they try to uh, when they rode the public transport and you know when they're just by themselves, it's fun. But when they're in normal life, kind of fucked up. And um I know we're not probably getting a lot of cultural context because I know Denmark has its problems and Drinking culture, not judging, but um, I think those moments, you know, with um, Thomas Winterberg, when when the film kind of stays with them drinking, at one point I feel like, oh, you know, it's kind of an endorsement. But then later when you see the uglier sides of it, it still stays. And now I think it's kind of using that same technique to confront the people and the culture. And I think it goes deeper once we see it go down to the main characters. Um, what do you think of how it captured that drinking? Because it's such a big part and um, it is the main gist of the film. And what do you feel about how it was depicted or how it was captured? Um, well, I'll, I'll just say I think that they do a solid job of capturing the overall spirit of uh, drinking in Denmark without being too obvious about it and like trying to make some sort of big point you know not some sort of moral lesson i would say which is good um i mean it it starts off with that lake race where it's just a bunch of high school students um racing around and drinking cases of beer so you know there's also these other more like widespread cultural moments like there's that montage right of yeah. all the world leaders <laughs> who <laughs> have seemed to have been drinking before doing something big in public and drinking, dancing, having fun. Um, yeah, I think it, it does a really good job of showing you the atmosphere of why, you know, these, these people would just so easily fall into alcoholism in a way. Um, maybe this is kind of a strange comparison, but I was just thinking of other movies that have done this before with the idea of, inundating you with a some sort of cultural thing like spring breakers um came to mind for some reason because that's a movie where that it's like really in your face with like the atmosphere of spring break 
Um, and it's just very showing you, the viewer, what the characters are consuming, essentially, on a daily basis. Like, drinking is all around these people. And so I think, you know, it does a pretty solid job of that. Um, yeah, and then individually, I think it's, like I said, pretty nuanced in showing the highs and the lows uh, without being too preachy about it. Um, and it really sort of starts off with that initial dinner scene, which is really great, I think. One of the best directorial showcases, I would say, is that scene um, from just framing it as Martin having this internal battle, how he's like kind of offended by his friends telling him that he is lacking in self-confidence. But then he's also sort of like taking it to heart, you know, and he's surrounded by alcohol and he's framed as kind of an outsider in that scene and the tension just builds and builds and then he he takes the shot of vodka and it's all sort of downhill from there he's downing the wine um and he's also kind of like in tears in that moment so yeah I think it really stems from that scene that's pretty masterfully crafted yeah I had to kind of rewind it and watch it again that's what you do when you rewind. I'm sorry. Um, because um, that's the setup. Like I said, that's the setup. That's where it all starts. And I think there's a lot of care in that scene. Um, why is it Nikolai's birthday? You know, who are we seeing when someone's drinking? Why are we in Mad's face when he's not talking? There's a lot of these small details that kind of fall into place. And we kind of see where they are starting to fall. Not just... Mads, what's his name? Martin, but the other four, the other three friends, how they are responding to each other and how when the idea of the experiment, I forgot the name of the experiment, um, by Skirtifud, I don't know him, um, this experiment of maintaining 0.05 BAC and how they're starting to react to it and how they're kind of not just reacting to it, but reacting to how, how the others are reacting. It's a very delicately mounted scene because that's that contextualizes this and kind of, I think, separates it from just the happy-go-lucky drinking buddy films that we would have that would, that this might film, that this film might be associated with, with someone who's not looking closer because this film is really interested in what, 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 what's happening to these characters that triggers them to go that, down that lane. Uh, I really love how you highlighted it. And um, I think kind of going back with what you said, you know, why it's not hitting hard, whatever stance it has on drinking. I think that's what kind of giving me a hard time when I first saw it. Because yeah. I think in our corners in time, in our timelines, this kind of felt like, oh, it's an enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. And when I watch it, disturbed so i did not i was this i was not just disconnected at some parts with the film but kind of disconnected with the reaction that we got because yeah some people really responded to it oh this is such a you know i see myself in the look it was fun maybe maybe good maybe that maybe bad but when i started watching it and like oh this is this isn't just having fun this is not just the men having fun it talks about it really doesn't shy away from what happens 
when after they drink, they go home to their families. What happens when they sneak into the comfort room and they drink and they go back to the classroom? It's disturbing. But like I said, the beauty about it is that it doesn't hit it that hard because it wants you to have the contemplation afterwards. And I think I did that. You know, I was thinking about it like, oh, what is what is the film trying to say? Um, do you think the film was leaving it to that? Or was it a case of the film sending mixed signals? I definitely interpret it more as him sort of not presenting any sort of thesis about alcoholism. Obviously, it is a problem, and I think most people know that. Um, so I don't know if he necessarily needs to be the one being like, alcoholism, bad, right? You know, and like, we sort of get that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's sort of one of these things where it's, nuanced because the alcoholism is not and drinking I should just say drinking is a problem for some people and it's not a problem for other people and I like that the film explores both of those things obviously these four characters take it to a new extreme uh, but I think by the end of the film we're presented with these two interesting options with Martin and then Tommy who just goes down a very destructive path of and he just can't beat the drinking he he just can't do it even if after they call off the experiment um and i like that it's sort of not necessarily blaming the drinking so much as just suggesting that moderation is good in in life you know and if you can sort of if you can control your own narrative and your own life then then, you know, things like drinking can be enjoyed, as, as I think that's how I interpret the ending for Martin, which is that he gets to such a better place and he seems to be in control of his drinking, I think, um, so that he can have this incredible moment at the end of the film where he's fully expressing himself. Uh, but then you also have on the flip side, Tommy, who has completely let alcohol destroy his life. And, you know, that has controlled him in a way that um yeah i think it's more suggesting that like this can be a dangerous thing in some hands but also it's not the worst thing in the world so i think it's very nuanced in showing all the different sides of um drinking in a way yeah i'm starting to appreciate it more once you were explaining it thank you because um <laughs> you know i i was i was more I guess yeah, we have. I think we have our own different way in to stories, and I think my way in is how self-destructive it can get without them noticing it. Right. Um, I'm not gonna confess anything, but the thing is that lack of control, and I think that's the, the the desperation to get out of the dullness or the the aimlessness, probably, because I think they feel that. They've hit a roadblock. You know, that's 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 where they are. Now, they're teachers. They're in their, like, 40s, 50s, 60s in some cases. They've lived their life. They have, they have nothing. And the small, quiet dinners is what, like, peaks in their lives. That's why they enjoy it so much is because um, there's, there isn't any of that anymore. And also the, the setting of, like, the small town, which, like, 
you know, that kind of like brings that for them, the desire for something new, albeit reckless. And the recklessness, they kind of cover it with like, well, we're not alcoholics. You know, um, we, this is an experiment. And it kind of loops in. I'm, I think this is, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this. This is um, this is a personal observation. I've kind of worked with some academics. And academics can be hypercritical at times. Because like, oh, it's not bad. You know, I know what I'm doing. But it, it, I think it adds a layer. <laughs> I'm not um, stitching on my boss. But that, that idea of um, wanting to gain control and then in the process, mm. yeah. losing it. I think that was my way in and that was the more fascinating part. And, um, you know, like you said, it's not hitting hard. Like, I don't think there's, um, I think there are just a few lines when, like, for example, the wife said that, um, wife of Martin said that, you know, this country is like drinking like maniacs. But mm-hmm. those are smaller parts that we kind of, like, stray observations that we kind of needed to ground it on a bigger perspective. But at the same time, right. even without that, we see that the, the tricky path that, dependence okay, dependence on an alcohol would give because it can give you life but then it can you know take away the most important things to you as well I think that was my way in and that's where I've ha- I was having more empathy with the characters of course you know I was I was also enjoying when they were like having their own the the the, the darkly comedic troubles that they get you know when they're trying to sneak a drink or like the troubles that they go through, um, I, I would admit I enjoy that because I feel like I'm, I'm better than them. <laughs> Not true. What do you feel about the the way the film, you know, toes the line of comedy and yet there is this dark subject subtext and sometimes I, we don't know what are we feeling right now. Are we still laughing or like, oh, there's something here. Yeah, I think it's just a reflection of real life and what would happen in a situation like this where these four middle-aged men are trying this experiment. And, you know, one of my favorite sort of darkly comedic scenes is when one of the wives, I don't know which one of one it was, but they wanted them to go get codfish. And so they, they go to the store and it, it's not there. So then they actually try to go out and catch a codfish. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just great, no matter what the context is. Um, and they're just totally failing and stumbling over themselves. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I always love films like this that that are able to blend the comedy and the drama um, in a way that still feels like it's the same movie and not totally switching tones at random. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's handled pretty well. I also just wanted to highlight this um, somewhat minor scene towards the beginning that I think also speaks to the heart of the film, which is when um, the parents are um, talking to Martin at the beginning and they're just like, you know, a a C plus really drags down your average. Like, you know, it feels like because the context of that is that he's not really the best 
teacher at in in that point in his life he's really lost his spirit in many ways um and the parents are kind of pressuring them to be like you know our kids want to get into a good university and if you're grading them weirdly for some reason then that's not going to happen um at first i was like okay well these are just like the classic overprotective parents who are like demanding to speak to the teacher and i thought that's kind of what the scene was about but then when i actually looked at that scene in particular i do think that is the spirit of the film which is indicating that there is just an urgency with these kids and they want to live active lives and then when you compare that to martin who's just totally out of it and he's no longer finding any joy in life I think it's part of a key factor in what is inspiring him to do the experiment. Um, and I just think, like I was sort of saying, it's reinforcing the film's themes about living a more active life and being in control of your life. Because I, I think the fact that they are surrounded by kids because they're teachers, I think that is actually a big part of you know, why they decide to do what they do to try to recapture some of the joy that they had in their youth. Yeah. Um, I also like that scene. I, I highlighted it here. Um, yeah. There, I, I, I love how it, it shows how Martin can get in his own, you know, when, when confronted with something. And I don't know, uh, this, the thing with, because I'm always I'm thinking of the first scene and then I'm thinking of him and why are we focusing on the young people and and I don't know maybe this is a teacher thing the you know he, he is with young people and mm -hmm. he sees them full of life and the students are you know some of them are also kind of lazy but you cannot also blame them to not having much attention because he is also not in his gay a game. So I think that was kind of a meeting where like both sides have some points to make, but at the same time, both sides. And I love that, you know, when a film doesn't dictate who to empathize and who to, and what to feel. I think, you know, interesting thing, um, the last one we discussed was Parasite, and that was a film that that knows what to do, and then kind of turns genres, like on a very specific point, and does it flawlessly. And with this one, it's like, all right, take what you want, take what you feel, and then you sit with that feeling, and like it can if it, it, it can get you conflicted, like okay. And it's also interesting for me that the one instigated the who instigated the 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 turning into practice the social experiment was the one with the newborn baby. So I think there is this also this exhaustion or like, I don't know, rep, rep, uh, repetitive path in his life that he wanted to get out of it. And I think all of them are also because, um, you know, teeth, uh, being a, an academic in a small town, I think there's a certain routinary effect to it because, you know, school year, start ending, go home, start and end summer. Yeah, summer. Yeah. Uh, family <laughs> and then and mm -hmm. they also said that well have you thought of uh, when they when they when martin decided to like open up but also not open open up like uh, still holding himself together the, their advice like well have you tried seeing someone else and like no don't say that and 
I think that also shows why would drinking be his alternate because he still holds certain aspects of his life dearly. But in holding that dearly, I'm not saying that he should have probably, he would have been better if he just cheated to be happier. But in protecting that family aspect of his life and then he chose to drink, also kind of grew to disconnect. I mean, at first he was more um, loving to his wife, like serving food and like, oh, this is the food and all that. But then it becomes this um, hurdle. And then that, that, um, realization that you think you were ahead of everyone and as it turns out everyone knows that you're drinking and that crushing effect that it has on him that people that he kind of got busted and then the realization also that his wife was ahead of him and that is just that, that compounds to the more devastating effects of how this Um, emptiness in his life, you know. I, I think it's a it, it snowballed to a point of no control. Again, the concept of control. Um, that's what I um, really found interesting. Um, what do you think of those? Because this film has those intertitles where they were documenting... They were trying to type a paper. So you see some of the things they're typing and also... When they're trying to um, check their alcohol level, alcohol level, BAC, BAC. What do you think? Because it, um, it, I don't know what what to feel about those things. What do you feel about those? Uh, I I always enjoy those kinds of things. I mean, it's uh, it's certainly helpful for the audience. I imagine to keep track of exactly how much they're losing control. Um, But then I also like the moment where he is, Martin is on a trip with his family and he's just having a really good time and he's reconnecting with his wife and they seem to be intimate. Um, and then it just sort of cuts to the blood alcohol count and it's 0.0. Um, I think that's, that's a very uh, pointed and powerful moment for me. That's just... I think showing a little bit of change in Martin to, to show him that he has loosened up throughout this whole experiment. And now he's sort of realizing that he can sort of live like this and he has this renewed energy and he doesn't actually really need alcohol to, to do that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy those. It, it didn't really affect me one way or the other. Um, but what about you? Uh, at first, you know, it, it it can be just this this playful technique of because instead of just showing screens, <laughs> they can just do that yeah. and have this playfulness in the form. But as as the film went along, it also be added tension because we're exactly. seeing where they are. Um, mm-hmm. you know how the alcohol the BAC um, you know it, it rises up and then slowly it still rises up and to the point of like even those things add up to the engagement that I had because we're gonna say oh no 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 this is not 0.05 <laughs> this is this is one point something this is you're right. beyond and um, I think it adds to those small directorial touches like oh you know that 
that kind of add to the overall engagement that I had. Um, again, going back to the way this film was captured, I also love those moments when the film, the, the camera as if it's, it connects with the movement of the characters. You know, not just in the dancing part, but, you know, even when they're like playing in the field and not just following, but almost as if when they're moving, the camera's also moving and it becomes this uh, almost very revealing because we're not looking away. Um, it becomes this observation of human behavior that it's not even just like, oh, let's see how drunk he was. You know, especially this happens, I guess, with the with um, with a sports teacher who it's, it's Tommy, right? Tommy, the one who doubles mm-hmm. down, yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. how, how kinetic the camera can get, and we see more like, oh, at first it's fun because you know he's kind of sneaking it, and there's this one scene where like. Oh, you don't have your drink? He says to his student, like, no, you can't have this. <laughs> when you're a teammate, you should drink your teammate's drink. And at first, it becomes this, like, because we know the secret. It's funny. But then later, it becomes this, um, I don't know, this. We it, It's one of those first signs that he's really lost it. And we, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I was starting to become afraid of him, uh, of, of what he's going through. Because unlike Martin, who we kind of have a better idea because he's a lead character, basically. We are kind of, we only get a few scenes independently of the other characters. Like, for example, with um with Nikolai when he goes home drunk. And then, you know, he was always complaining that his child is peeing. And then he's the one who pees <laughs> in the bed. And then, <laughs> and then Tommy um, has this... Uh, Oh, the faculty meeting scene. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were discussing. There are reports of faculty students, uh, faculty teachers, faculty members drinking. And then he comes in. I mean, uh, what is your take on that scene? Oh, gosh. It's just a lot of secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right about in terms of the, the, the camera work really does lend itself to as if you are kind of like along for the ride in terms of the experiment of experience of being drunk and uh, losing control. Um, and I think that's another scene that does that pretty well for him because that's definitely one that feels pretty out of control when he's stumbling around and knocking things over. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the fact that you know when we start when we get to see when there are other characters that are not in their game because it's like it's like the first scene because in the first scene mm-hmm. it's kind of fun you know I, I wish I kind of wish I had a child because I didn't I didn't get a childhood so I kind of kind of wish that you know not not necessarily the drinking part but the 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 freeness, freedom, <laughs> the freeness, the freedom, freedom, yeah. the freedom that they get. But then it becomes embarrassing once they're juxtaposed with the outsiders. Here, it's almost as if it's replicated, yeah. but then the youth factor is gone because uh, the youth, oh, they're young, they're mm-hmm. kind of young and wild and free and stupid. But they're teachers now and they're kind of like being the, like the, the role models of the students. I think that's the, that's the thing that's taken away from them that that um, license to be stupid when you get older. Um, and when you see it with them, it's almost the same thing, but 
it's uh, at the beginning it's you know they're still having fun but with this one it's just like they're both out of control but with this one there are just like heavy repercussions also because in youth you have lesser responsibilities and lesser i don't know things to uphold it's um right. it's, it's it it makes me really uncomfortable which is good i like that i was uncomfortable because that was a point of the scene to show like this has gone too far and it's as if the characters are not 100% on the same page anymore. Because one is, though, Tommy's ever done it. And what yeah. do the other characters realize when one of them goes beyond? Is this them um, when seen by outsiders? Because Martin almost had the same thing, you know, when he came in and like, Having this dancey moment, like I'm that, but not with alcohol. So that's just me. Um, that dancey at first, like he's having kind of fun, but then for them, like oh, he's drunk, and then he hits himself on the on the the door hinge or something. Um, and then it's it's one of those moments when then the second hand the second hand embarrassment, like you said, is not just. It's not. It's not even for comedy anymore. It it goes deeper, and it oh, yeah. it is then contextualized with what's happening in their inner lives, and in their family lives, and their home lives, and um, it's devastating. And they cannot even mm-hmm. just explode because it's a secret. Those those small moments that. I appreciate how those scenes were executed with Thomas Vindenberg because it 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 has impact, you know, with without it being a very showy one. It's just it's 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 observant of human behavior and but that it says so much about these characters and maybe of us as well, you know, when we lost when we lose control. Yeah. Also I think there's a moment towards the end of the film that that's all sort of leading to where I wrote this down. It's uh, Tommy says to Martin, um, this isn't worth anything. Um, you don't want this. Uh-huh. And he, he says that when the two of them are at Tommy's place and Tommy is just pretty much ready to go essentially off himself. Um, and it's a really, really heartbreaking scene where all of that is converging in terms of... Um, Tommy is such a lonely and tragic character who has these failed relationships. And the only relationship he has is with his dog. And even his dog is struggling to really go on. Um, And I think what we see in that scene is a little bit of that trope of the tragic character who's like imparting wisdom to the main character. But also, I think the way it plays out is... Um, very understated and realistic because it's like he's telling Martin you don't want to become me you don't want to become this you don't want to be alone and letting go of the best woman you've ever had you know and becoming this drunken mess of a person who who doesn't want to live anymore Um, and that's really the darkest moment in the film for me that really shook me when I first saw it yeah, it, those those character moments between them, especially in the second half, starts to hit hard, because even them have their realization already that this is 
this is um this is not just an experiment anymore this is affecting our lives and um we have to stop but can they stop you know that question like <laughs> i love it when they really said we're not alcoholics and mm, i think you are at this point and doubling down on it and like raising the stakes and you know those conversations near the end where like oh this is how far we've gone or like how low we've gotten and it goes beyond a small secret of four friends it's not just affecting the people around them i mean we've already kind of touched on a bit on the marriage of martin and how that fell apart um but also on the other side characters um with i think um with the subplots that we get aside from the drinking for the drinking for it's better than a chicago seven i can tell you um the the, the subplot of martin's marriage falling apart what what do you think of that because i think it's it gets also significant focus uh yeah i mean that's one of my least favorite parts of the film if i'm being honest Let's just be honest, because go. i <laughs> I find I find that it is very um, cliched mm-hmm. overall in how everything plays out. There's nothing new here that we haven't seen in hundreds of films about domestic uh, struggles between married couples. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand why it's here. And, you know, the scenes play out in a very effective way because you don't know like what Martin is going to do when he's totally drunk and he's finally confronting his wife about things. And then he's like stumbling with the drink and it's crashing to the ground. Um, but I I didn't get a lot out of those scenes in particular. I don't know about you, but that's just me. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, it, yeah, like I get why yeah. they're here and they're fe- effective enough. I just am not moved by them, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I think we already kind of know, especially when it was set up at the beginning that, you know, the wife works at night and he works yeah. a day. And I'm like, I'm with you, wife. I also work at night. So that kind of like um, familial disconnect, you know, whether that's aggravated or not, it's it's already a seed planted and we already know there's a disconnect. And you know the reason that um, that Martin also wants to spice up things is because he there is this lack of connection. Disconnect with with uh, with students. Disconnect with family. Disconnect with friends. Yeah, he, he is on a, a different place with everyone, and that's why I think he was very precious about this bond that they four had. For better and for worse, is because that's what he's been missing for quite a while now. Um, with the marriage thing, it feels the most traditionally dramatic device in the film. Right. Yeah, which doesn't bother me, but eh, you know, I guess it's in there and it, it works. It's tried and tested, and. Um, but in the end, it kind of goes back on a, you know, semi high importance because in the end, uh, Martin's family is gone. They separate, but then in the end, it's part of the reconciliatory um, aspect of right. the film is when he makes peace with drinking alcohol, 
And then the wife also is like, I miss you too. And mm-hmm. it's this wrap up of like the possibility of moving forward. Like, um, and it still hangs on a thread. Like, um, will this work now for Martin? Um, not sure. I feel that I don't. I, I feel like the ending was kind of ironic. That I mm. I did not read it as him. Oh gosh, I'm gonna get this so wrong. But I'm not. I did not pick up that he was already being free because you know he was free. He's mobile now, you know, because I, I mean the rest of the film he was. He was asked to be to dance, and he hasn't really danced. And this was the first time he danced. But that jump in the end, and I I don't know. He he still has his own things to deal with. You know, micro moments within that ending. You know, when he's like sitting down for a moment after he dances, like, and how he deals with the marriage and the alcohol. I'm not sure it's a one hundred percent like a. A celebration for him. I think there is still that tendency to self-destruct. Um, I really don't know. <laughs> that ending yeah. leaves me clueless. I definitely wanted to get into yeah. this ending. I yeah, want to hear your because yeah. I was curious what what you thought as well. Because um, I do think the ending is it's it's pretty great for for a number of reasons. Uh, it's probably why so many people love the movie because I do think. For a lot of people, it does leave you on a high, you know, I mean, Mads, the way he's dancing is so expressive and open and the camera's following him in a way that that uh, is, again, going back to what we were saying in terms of like, it doesn't feel too formal or stagey, you know, it's like the camera's really responding to his movements. Um, but then also on a story level, I do think that even if it feels like this big euphoric celebration type of ending i do kind of agree that there is some ambiguity here in it to where you know martin had previously just sworn off to sworn off the experiment and he's just attended a funeral for his friend whose life was destroyed by alcohol um and then he ends up picking up the bottle again and he's running into the streets where the alcohol is just flowing all over the place. And I think we're supposed to get a sense that, you know, he's going to be okay as long as he's in control of his drinking. Um, maybe the death of his friend, maybe that made him understand to not push things too far. But there's also a scenario where maybe he relapses. Maybe he isn't in, as in control as he thought he was. And his home life becomes destructive again. And he just isn't able to beat this addiction to alcohol. And here he is, we're freeze framing on this moment of him diving off. And is that like, hooray, is that a great thing? Or is that just like, I've surrendered myself to like, this is what's going to be my life. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you know? my that's my disconnect for the most part, because taking it, I think, a lot of people took that scene on its own and then like, oh, it's fun. But then when right. you watch the <laughs> He's dancing, he's having fun. Yeah. What a fun song. What a life, and it's you know? December, release in December. So like, yes. Um, and, right. you know, all the happiness that K 
came after. But, you know, on the story level, it there's always a side of me that was worried of worried for him, still sad for him. I don't know with him going back, like picking up the bottle again. And that freeze frame, kind of like Tom and Louise in a way that you, you end it f- mm-hmm. with him flying. So he's free. But you know he's going to come crashing down again. And mm-hmm. yeah, even when we dis- yeah exactly. even when we decide to freeze here, we know that the fact that it free- froze here means there is a life of the film afterwards, and that's the crashing down. Is, is him crashing down the water going to be? This is overreading. Take it with a grain of salt. Is this going to be some rebirth of sort from him once he comes out? Or is it going to be one of his falls again? You know, the way that he fell and had a wound in his head after a drunken night. What is this going to be with him? And I, after everything he just dealt with, you know, after everything he's been through because of the drinking, with him taking up a, taking it up again, I don't know. I feel like a sponsor at that point. Like, for sure. <laughs> that, I don't know. There is a right. worry. And that's why I felt an irony in what life, even though right. I know it's supposed to be, at least in the world of the film, a celebration. And I think he's trying to make amends with it. You know, he's like, okay, I'm going to drink, but it's because you guys are making me drink it. I'm happy for you all. Or maybe because I'm just not a drinker and I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think what makes this interesting, uh, good art to talk about is that there is no conclusive thing you can say about it. You know, I think viewers are able to take whatever they can from the film, and it's not necessarily going to be the same as other people, which we've seen. I mean, the way that some people were talking about this film, it's like, wow, what a great happy ending and like, you know, what a lovely sort of dance at the end and he's conquered alcoholism, good for him. (laughs) And others are like, this is actually kind of like a dark and sad ending maybe. And other people are like, maybe it's a little bit of both, you know? So Yeah, and the fact that that Winterberg freezes it there and stops it in that moment, I think he's allowing us to not see what happens next and draw our own conclusion. So I just countered blanks, myself. Yes. So, <laughs> I just ruined my five minute <laughs> argument. But um are they, <laughs> I know, right? Oh gosh. Um these are the just <laughs> I know. <laughs> um this yeah. cast is wonderful. I mean I know we've talked about like yeah. some of the, uh, more like aspects of it, but the main four, Mads Mikkelsen of course, but Thomas Borl Larsen as Tommy Mag- Magnus Milang as Nikolai and Lars Rante as Peter. Um, this is such a solid four, and they really go along together. And um, the dynamic is also what makes this film interesting, and how they coexist and depend on each other on this experiment. It's not. I don't think this one would work as much if it was just Martin doing it with himself. It's the right. four needing some outlet, and these these four actors that we have here were so wonderful and um yeah uh, yeah yeah 
you can you can definitely feel the bond between the four of them and i mean even from reading behind the scenes is they were pretty good friends and they would actually ironically i mean they never actually drank on on the set during these scenes where they're supposed to be drunk um they but they would actually like go out after filming and like get drinks (laughs) when they weren't filming ironically and so they were they really had that spirit that you know that you can feel the yeah, bond, it I was think. very important in those scenes to, for us to buy why are they sticking with one another um one last note that i want to mention i think it, it, it's here in imdb um the singer of what life was a former friend of madis mikoshin's daughter and Mikkelsen used to drive him home because the singer was always drunk. And now it's Mikkelsen singing to a song, What a Life. Ah, full circle moment. Uh, are there anything else you want to mention about another round? <laughs> well, I mean, there is kind of the one of the big behind the scenes oh, yeah. stories of it is that um, Thomas Winterberg's daughter um, died like four days before she was going to be in the film uh playing the playing the daughter of martin and they changed that to have him having two sons instead of a son and a daughter and it was uh all in the whole film was really in tribute to her they filmed in her old classroom with some of her classmates um that's it's just a very sad angle to this and i can tell that this felt like a, a personal yeah. story for him. And I'm glad he got to express all of that in his eventual oh, Oscar yeah. speech. He was given the time to say that, you know. And not cut off, but like they usually do in this category. Right. Um, right. <laughs> of course, I would never, I would not assume how that affected Vinterberg. I think, of course, it did because he dedicated the film to her. But. And, you know, experiencing death recently as well with my grandmother. Um, That, the uncertainty of, you know, the happiness and the sadness. I think there is that in another round. And, of course, I'm not ascribing it to that just alone, you know, because it would be generalization or, like, misunderstanding the filmmaker. But I think that's one of the things that I take the most in another round is that it exists in the lack of reconciliation or we end with the attempt to reconcile because Martin is a work in progress. Right. And I love it for it. Even yeah. though, um, oh, now it sucks to say it at the end, <laughs> but I can, like you, I don't love it, love it, but I really value what it does. And I see, I know, I see someone being honest when I watch this film. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I didn't even mention the fact that um, she she's kind of the one who inspired the film in the first place. So it's not like she was just cast to play a daughter. You know, she she was the one who talked to him about this, the culture of drinking um, in Denmark. And also um, it's, you know, adopting the play into a film itself it's it's all very much like inspired 
from her. And so, yeah, there's a really intense personal thing there. And maybe you're right that it's a, a lot of the mixed feelings are stemming from what he was going through emotionally during this whole filming. I, I just can't believe that he was able to go on and make this film after after something like that. But maybe yeah. it helped him, you know? That's everyone has a different process in dealing with those things. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but I, you know, it's it's a movie that I think is really, really well made. And I do agree that I just respect it a lot. It's just not something that like personally, I will always treasure like those special kinds of movies that you have that you just love. It's not one of those for me, but it's absolutely one that I can respect yeah. and admire. I concur. I concur. <laughs> I, I do concur with that feeling that, yeah. Yeah. Fordi der findes en norsk filosof og psykiater. Findes skorterud. Nej, nej, prøv nu her. Som faktisk mener, at det er fornuftigt at drikke. Når man kører bil, eller hvad? Nej, men hele tiden. Han mener, at mennesket er født med en halv promille for lidt. For lidt? Ja. Okay. Men det er da meget interessant. <laughs> altså, jeg, bare lige, ja. jeg skal lige forstå En halv promille, siger du ikke? Hvor meget er en halv det promille? Det er et to glas vin, ikke? Og så skal man så konstant holde den der På den der halve promille, ikke? Okay. Ja. Men skal man så drikke noget hele tiden? Eller? Ja, altså øh, han, han peger faktisk på At når man har den der sådan lidt halve promille i blodet ja. Så er det jo der, hvor du sådan bliver sådan lidt mere afslappet Og sådan lidt mere parat Og musikalsk og Åben. Mere modig, simpelthen, ikke? Det siger jeg ja til. Jeg kunne i hvert fald godt bruge lidt mere øh, selvtillid og lidt mere... Øh, woo! Ah, det, oh, nej, men det kunne vi da alle sammen. Det kunne jeg da også godt. Er det ikke virkelig også det, der problemer over skolen, Martin? All right, so now let's talk about how another round won. Or, yeah, something like that. So, it premiered in Denmark in September 24. And... It was supposed to premiere in Cannes, but it got cancelled, but it still got the stamp. So technically, its premiere was in Toronto International Film Festival. And then in the United States, it was released in December 18 in limited theaters and in digital. That's the first time I said that in this, in this podcast. Yeah. The film was released in digital the same day. Um, it won in BAFTA. <laughs> for Best Film Not in the English Language. It was also nominated for Directing, Actor, and Original Screenplay, which is now kind of like weird because like you mentioned that the film was kind of partially based on a play and then it still was campaign original. And then it was nominated at the Critics' Choice Awards and it was also nominated at the 78th and final Golden Globe Awards. And then... Um, Critics groups also rallied behind it with wins and nominations with Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Chicago Indy, Dallas-Fort Worth, Denver, Georgia, Hollywood Critics, Houston, Indiana, Kansas, Music City, North Carolina, North Dakota, Online Film Critics, Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, Southeastern Toronto, Utah, Vancouver, Washington, D.C., and many, many more. That's how many wow. uh, Critics Awards we have now. Um, all right, so we got to talk about two things this year, like in terms of rules. Um, in 2019, they changed because the, the, the short listing started in 2006. Um, in 2019, they upped the short list from 9 to 10. This year, they made it from 10 to 15. Um, there is no um, 
no news if they're going to roll back to 10. So I think this is going to stay. But the second development was that unlike in the previous years when there is this um, executive committee that quote unquote saves films um, because the Academy thought that there was no way safe way to convene virtually, which is a good call. <laughs> so um, there's yeah. nothing really safe online. So they removed the saves this year. So I think we can talk about some of the films that kind of suffered from this the lack of save this year. Um, but before we go on any further, uh, what do you think of its... Uh, was it such a safe bet in f- international feature film? And, you know, we talked about... Because it all was also nominated in directing without a picture nomination. That's only the third time it happened, this um, expanded ballot, modern expanded ballot. Um, and the second time that it was for a non-English language film. The first one was in Cold War in 2018. Um, do you think it came close in other categories as well? And um, what do you think of its Oscar chances? Was it a safe bet to win? Yeah, I would say it was a pretty safe bet. I do think there was another film in the lineup that was gaining some steam later on in the race, but I don't think there was enough time for it to build up. Um I will say that I do think it was close in Best Actor for Maz Mikkelsen. I really, really do. Um, I think he's an actor who a lot of people internationally and in Hollywood have worked with and are very friendly with. And it's such a baity performance that I would imagine he was sixth or seventh in that Best Actor lineup. That would be my guess. And I also think probably original screenplay maybe came close. I mean... That that was a pretty solid lineup that we got. Um, I think maybe some people were surprised that Mank was not nominated. I was flirting with that idea for a while, but I'd never actually committed to taking it out of my predictions. But if we're saying Mank was sixth, I would say again, another round was maybe seventh. So yeah, I do think it, it managed to um, elevate a little bit beyond the uh, one inch barrier, as it were, oh, and was oh, <laughs> and and was able to really kind of like break free of the trappings, quote unquote, of just being considered one of the international feature film films. Yeah, I I, I kind of look forward to what's going to happen next, you know, because I think since 2018, we had two, you know, with Alfonso Cuaron and Pavel Pavlikovsky. And then in 2019, we had Bong Joon-ho, which was, you know. And then this year, we had uh, Thomas Vinterberg. Um, I'm really excited in what the director's branch is going to do in the next few years. If this is going to be a trend. Yeah. Uh, are we going to go back to the 70s? Or like, I'm in the 70s right now. Like, we get so. these directing right. nominations from non-English language films. And... I'm actually looking forward to the day when a non-English language film that was not submitted gets in directing, like just like mm. the 70s. Um, yeah. Love that. Um, That's what I was hoping for uh, last year. Not, I guess not last year anymore, but with 2019 films that uh, Celine Sciamma could have gotten in for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was not submitted by France, but maybe could have gotten into director. Regardless, yes, I agree. Yeah, um, I agree with actor. I, I, who was your five? I forgot. In actor, 
It was these five, actually. It was Bozeman, Ahmed, Hopkins, Oldman, and Wow. I yeah, yeah. I stuck with Delroy Lindo an actor dropping old men. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> War flashbacks. Yeah. yeah, we all we all wanted that to happen, and I don't. I still don't understand how that failed to permeate beyond critics. I just don't get it. But and in an original screenplay, it was it was just a tough race. I mean, if yeah, a film about a writer that is so writerly like Mank misses there, it's an indication of how strong it was a year and. Um, in terms of contenders, at least. Um, yeah, probably those are the other categories that another round uh, would have probably uh, gotten in closer. Looking back at the Oscars, and I don't know what your feelings about this, I'm not sure like a directing nomination automatically means that you're closer to picture. Right. I think that's something that a lot of pundits even seem to say is like because picture and director tend to line up more often than not that that is a sign that there is overall support within the academy all it means is that there was support within director's branch because that is who is nominating thomas winterberg in this case you know that's it just the director's branch uh it's not the 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 whole academy so yeah yeah. exactly so that's why i i wasn't because we, we, this is also the last year where we only got like f- from a five to ten. We got eight best picture nominees. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Immediately, people were thinking, "Oh, it's pro- it's Ma Rainey, or like it's one and in Miami." Um, yeah. As the as the, as ninth, the ninth or the tenth. Or the tenth. I'm not, I'm yeah. Even surprised that I'm saying those titles now after the Oscar season. Um, but then <laughs> you know, um, yeah. after the directing nomination, people were thinking, "Oh, it's another round." Who was in the ninth? Because it came close in actor and screenplay, right. like. I remember that. Not true. I disagree. I disagree. Um, yep. yeah. <laughs> we both disagree. So, all right. So, yeah. <laughs> now let's <laughs> see because I kind of agree. Once another round emerged as one of the earlier submissions, and it was the one with the big name, and the mm-hmm. director has already been here, who hasn't been recognized before. Um, it solidified pretty easily. Because the bigger competition yeah. slash S competitions came in later. Like we're talking March. So there wasn't anyone else that was able to form like a counter narrative to that. But yeah. yeah. And I also just think the film itself, <laughs> Another Round, is so much friendlier to... Oh, yeah. Um, an academy that is more Americanized academy, even though it is expanding to other uh, countries in terms of membership much faster than it ever has. But um, I just think there's so many themes and the way it is directed is very like, you know, it's, it's Eurocentric, which we know that the academy absolutely loves <laughs> more than any other kind of international film. So, and it has that recognizable star. It's about men dealing with alcoholism. I'm sure there's plenty of people in the Academy who can relate to that. So, uh, you know, just saying, Um, I think there was a lot of uh, factors that really helped out another round compared to some other films in this lineup, which are a little more difficult to maybe relate to. I, 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 I I totally agree with you, but 
and not judging Academy members, but you know, when Academy Awards spell A A, I'm just saying. Mm. All right, so more on that. Good point. So fast. <laughs> All right, so the films that were nominated alongside another round. I forgot the winner. Another round. An interesting okay. group. Um, I'm just gonna run down yeah. them a bit for a bit. Uh, Better Days from Hong Kong, Collective from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tunisia, and Paul Vadis Aida from Bosnia and Herzegovina. All right, Kevin, so which film would you like to discuss first? Well, if we're going to discuss them all, I, how about we do what I think was like the least likely to win up to the most likely to upset another round? Let's let's go. What's, what's your number four? What's the fifth least likely to win that you think? I would say maybe it's debatable, but it's probably the man who sold his skin. Yeah. Would be my guess. The man who sold his skin from Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. The man who sold his skin. And it's not about circumcision. It is um, about... <laughs> yeah. I've been holding that joke for months. Thank you. All right. So it Very is good. about um, uh, a man. A man who was um, who sold his skin. Who, yes, of course. Who um, was in Lebanon? No, no, no. He was in Syria, but then because he said something that is considered um, uh, an an insurgent or um, there's there's a word that's kind of rebellious. He needed to seek refuge to Lebanon. However, Mm -hmm. um, because he's desperate to travel to Europe. He accepts this uh, offer for a Schengen visa by an artist to tattoo something on his back and be considered an artwork so that he could travel around Europe. Uh, It premiered in Venice International Film Festival in the Horizons section where it won the Best Actor um, for the man. Uh, What do you think of The Man Who Sold His Skin? Um, I am still kind of baffled that this was nominated. Okay. <laughs> compared compared to pretty much all of the films that people were predicting would get in but didn't. Um, like I remember when people were even doing their rankings of like the 15 shortlisted films. This was usually like in the bottom 2 or 3. Uh, not not only of people's personal preference, but like of likelihood of getting in. Um, and when you also consider that isn't this Tunisia's first film to be nominated, uh, you know, it's not like it's even a country that um, the Academy has shown fondness to before. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, when I look at what the film is about, I do think it sort of makes sense on paper because it's you know it's about art it's about the the uh, commodification of art it's about appropriation um it has bright lights great cinematography (laughs) and it's and, and it's and it's all against the backdrop of the syrian civil war i mean i think it was just a a potent combination in general um but I, I remember I went into this with pretty decent expectations because I thought the premise sounded kind of unique and interesting. 
um, a lot of potential to explore all of those themes that I was talking about, but the execution, um, it leaves something to be desired is how I would put it politely. Um, I found it to be kind of all over the place, uh, not only in terms of the message, but trying to pack in all these different messages and themes and it all kind of becomes muddled. Um, it starts off with a kind of love story angle of these two people who are being separated and then it sort of forgets that for a while and then it becomes about that again. And then there's a love triangle, but then also it's talking about appropriation and people versus objects. And it's just a lot to uh, unpack. Also, I do think the ending is a little cute and <laughs> plot twisty <laughs> in a way that seems much more engineered to get like a response from the audience than something that was necessarily like for the story uh yeah without spoiling it too much uh, there is a big moment that is rather bleak that ends up being kind of like a fake out ending there then i was i don't know i was just imagining what the movie would look like if that was just the ending and that it wasn't fake like what a big dramatic ending that would be but um yeah i was not a fan of this to be quite honest thoughts I, I i wanted to be a fan of this one um um because it was such a it was such a huge surprise i agree when i'm looking at predictions for like 1 to 15 this is definitely the 12 to 15 um there were some polarizing reactions in the internet there is a small section that loves it and most of the like eh. and mostly the reaction was over this over this right, one exactly. so i was um proceeding to watching it with a bit of caution but you know with the openness you know i'm excited what what is this film going to be i didn't read what was it about um i tried avoiding like summaries beforehand that's what i decided to do with this podcast like in halfway through like i should give up like reading summaries <laughs> because like i'm always like waiting for things to happen and when, when they don't <laughs> it doesn't align with me so like i should stop so with this one, there's a lot of there are a lot of great ideas, like you said, sprinkled here. And there is this interesting story at the center. The concept itself is very intriguing, you know. Um, and it's, I think I, I have this visceral reaction to it because, you know, as probably I, I would use my third world card here like from a country where the main goal of many people is to leave this country so i think i kind of understand where he's coming from of course you know he has more political weight in what in his desire so i already have that like um connection with the film i was waiting for those big themes to come together and they didn't it's uh it's as if things were thrown but at the same time, the story at the center isn't as fleshed out or isn't as textured that none of those ideas were even given that much weight. Um, we were talking about um, why is his life more valuable when he's considered not a human being, but as an artwork? It's such a big question, and I would love to have the film to explore that. There's so much in that, and... Um, 
you know, also this is from a, an African filmmaker um, telling a story of an African person, uh, not Syria, Syria, sorry, Middle East coming into Europe where we know there is this crisis on like um, immigrants. So I was waiting for more texture on that experience. Not necessarily to overload me with political context, but just. And, you know, with the character, the, par- the character is also kind of clueless with how the world works. Uh, at the beginning, at least. So I was waiting for that. Or maybe he, it's, we're just so with him that we're going to gain some knowledge later. But it's as if we're just watching and there's not really an exploration. So like you said, bright lights, beautiful lights. It, it looks beautiful. Uh, my standards, at least. And I think the main act, the, the central actor, Yaya, Yaya Mayani, I think, um, is very good in his role as this person who is kind of in a crossroads and like trying to find his worth like or like trying to assert his worth to the people around him who starts to see him as nothing as his artwork but the film becomes gimmicky yeah and that ending is just doesn't feel true right exactly emotionally and narrative wise yeah so those are my huge... A bit too much of a happy ending yeah, for me. Exactly. and the... Considering the story where we just watched. Yeah. It's very bait and switch in a way that I'm not a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, but nice try. <laughs> Given <laughs> yeah. lots of things that the, the, the film wanted to do and wanted to tell... Nice try, I guess. I mean, it's it, it, it will remain to be this interesting... What the hell happened this year? Nomination. And hopefully mm-hmm. this becomes the first of um, more from Tunisia. Because we know how Africa is so underrepresented here in this category. It's It gets very um, depressing as you go to the earlier years when they see... They're all white in this lineup, okay? Um, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think we're kind of expecting another film from another country from Africa to be represented and not this one. And it's not yep. even just like to compare, but the quality of the film itself doesn't really stick. No, I, I really think it's just a lot of elements that are interesting. And I could see why an Academy voter would be like, oh, this is very important. It has some important things to say. But then they aren't really like thinking about what it's trying to say because the film isn't giving that. Yeah. <laughs> but they're still giving it a nomination just because, you know, it looks really impressive. I think the cinematography is fantastic. Um, it's just uh, it just doesn't come together. I don't know. Yeah. And the filmmaker Kauther Ben-Hania, um, she was submitted before by Tunisia, Beauty and the Dogs. My mom has seen it. I haven't. I wonder why she has more time than I want. I do. Um, she said it was a wonderful film, so I trust that you know there is a, hopefully more we see because maybe in the grander scheme of things, this is just like a misfire from the filmmaker. Yeah. Because I don't believe in that. You know, once a filmmaker makes a bad film, like oh, don't make let her specifically her make films anymore. Right. I think filmmakers we should give them more space to try out things, but. Yeah, that's the Man of Soda Skin. It's an interesting experiment and in trying to weave 
ideas together. It just doesn't glue. And ultimately, it looks better on paper than yep. ultimately. Yep. So, um, Kevin, what's your fourth? My fourth is Better Days. Oh my gosh. Better Days from Hong Kong. Again, not yes. the Asian film we're kind of expecting to come in, but here we are. Um, it was, again, it's from Hong Kong, and it didn't screen, actually, in, like, any uh, big film festivals. It, aside from Osaka in Japan, and then, where is this? Uh, Udin, Italy. Not, not, not one of the big festivals. No, we usually expect to where the, the contenders are coming from. So, Better Days, it's directed by Derek Chang, who's hot. Um, it is about, yeah, know. it's about a high school girl <laughs> who um, has this um, really ambiguous link with a student who committed suicide in daylight in school. And then because of the investigation that happens, as well as the after the fallout of that suicide, she starts to experience bullying, like severe bullying from the other students. And then somewhere along the line, he meets um, a teenager, also, also a fellow teenager who's uh, more of like in the streets and, and involved in some criminal activities. And he sort of becomes his, her protector. All right. I want to hear your thoughts on better days. Well, this one I had just heard about in terms of it being a big deal in China, yeah. a big box office hit, yeah. but hadn't heard or seen a lot of critical praise, at least in my Americanized <laughs> circles. Um, so I guess in the lead up to the Oscar nominations, I can't say that I made this one a priority. I didn't watch all of the 15 films, and this is one that I did not watch, Um but then when I got nominated, of course, I finally watched it. And I will say for what it is, I think it gets its message across loud and clear. Yes. <laughs> um, it is an anti-bullying campaign. That is kind of what this is. And I guess kind of like how another round is tackling the idea of drinking as this widespread thing in Denmark. This is sort of showing like the epidemic of bullying in china and um that is what the film is about uh without much beyond that i would say i i can see this film being big with younger audiences um because there is a level of melodrama going on between uh just the main characters played by um zhao dong yu and jackson yi um there's just an urgency in their performances that feels right, I think, considering that these are young people and everything feels like it's the end of the world. The idea of just, you know, finding hope in each other when the world just doesn't understand them. Um, I think they both just key into that very well. Um, the problem for me is that it's just so unrelenting in what it's trying to tell you that there's not a lot of room for nuance which is probably true in the case of bullying in, in general so it's not like you can really explore like the goods and bads of bullying like it's just bad <laughs> but i will say that having watched most of the international film nominees of the past decade that this is at least something that is different 
um i feel like it it's not quite there's not quite a film like this that i've seen from the past decade that's been nominated um i don't know it just becomes very heightened and dramatic at a certain point past the point of believability i would say um by the end and i don't know i guess any sort of message that i get from it is something that i've already known and I'm aware of. So for me personally, I don't get as much out of it as maybe some others do and should maybe if they don't understand this. But um, and from what I understand, it does, it did actually inspire some change in um, some policies and create more awareness of the issue of bullying. So I don't know, I can't be mad about it. I just, uh, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's just very unrelenting. I don't know. Like, I was exhausted after watching this movie. <laughs> All right. Um, it clicked with me. So I don't know if it's because I'm young or it's because it's from Asia. And I kind of understand probably the overall like relationship with melodrama. Um, I'm going to preface. I don't love it. Um, it's, like I said, it's exhausting to watch. It's literally a lot. It shifts genres. It becomes this bullying drama. It becomes this... Um, almost like a romantic crime and it's because this investigation thing and then it really ends in um, a PSA stop bullying and then it's really a lot and I tweeted I searched my tweet about it because I'm struggling to phrase what I'm gonna say but I would say that it really at the expense of a more nuanced take on bullying it really goes full on like this is how bad it gets and um for me i was affected by it um it can be blunt in terms of writing in terms of editing in terms of score it can be blunt but i think unlike the man who sold his skin better days heart is in the right place so even when it goes overboard occasionally with a melodrama, especially with those bullies, like these are the real mean girls, like gonna kill you. Um, there is some truth in it, and the empathy with the main character is really something that you know. It's like it's almost like I want to detach <laughs> because I'm I'm so attached to the main character that of course, and then she gets bullied. Like this is a lot, and then. The relationship with uh, the the street thug and thug is the right word, um, but um, it's fascinating and then it becomes romantic. But it's it's almost as if they also have barriers with one another. And it, I'll just say this: I think there is a criticism in the internet that it it become it it unravels as it goes along, uh, like it. It loses form or whatever. I actually liked the directions it went as it went along. It became this investigation because uh, it becomes confrontative of the subject matter. Um, not the refined take I would want on bullying, but I guess the fact that this was literally made as a PSA and then gets shit done, then maybe it achieved its goal. It's not high art, definitely. And f maybe for me, I don't know. <laughs> making peace with the fact that um, there are certain corners of Asian storytelling not not 
um, generalizing all, but there are certain aspects of some in some countries, of course, because each country have their own uh, uniqueness and quirks. I tend to be more open with them. I just have to feel the genuine drama in it. But this is full on melodrama. Yeah, and uh, it's brutal at times. It's it's soapy at times. It's preachy at times. It doesn't always come together. But I felt an impact. So maybe that's what matters. Yeah. yeah. I will just say also that it really does capture your attention for all of it. And it's always moving. And kind of as you were saying, it does unravel into something else when it becomes this detective story of what happened to this uh, main bully. Um who is just the way, by the way, her, the way she is playing her character is just perfection. Because yeah. <laughs> you could just sense just the, the, she is every like mean girl, like leader type. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I find it very investing. Yeah. Even if sometimes I'm like, I need to take a <laughs> step back and like breathe. Cause just there's so, there, we're just at a 10 in terms of drama at all times and there's so much crying and it's very it's just very viscerally upsetting to watch that like you know i can't say that i i enjoyed the experience of watching it but yeah i do i'm glad that it affected some change yeah and i don't th- i don't think i'm gonna watch this for enjoyment maybe i would study it somewhere down the line but not really right. to enjoy it's not a kind of film it's yeah. it really has a message and it goes full-on in making sure that it, the, that that message reaches us, which is about bullying, um, I know there are people who are calling this awful. I can't go there, but it's a bit messy, and I understand where it's coming from. But maybe just more acquainted with the language of storytelling that it has. Um, all right. So, Anahi, what's your third? My third is Collective. Oh, yes. Collective from Romania. Um, significant first mm-hmm. nomination from Romania, despite having this rich cinematic history. Um, it premiered out of competition at the 76th Venice Film Festival, also screened in Toronto, and the spotlight section of Sundance. Um, it was also nominated for Best Documentary Feature. At the Academy Awards, making it the seventh, the seventh, the second to do so after just Honeyland the previous year. It is about um, uh, a sports newspaper. I hope I got that right. A, a group of journalists uh, that um, covered the um, massive deaths that happened when uh, a club called Collective had a fire where. 30, um, 27 people died and 180 people were injured. What's the, the, the report that they did covered what happened after because 37 people died when they were in hospitals. So then it became this examination of what is happening in the health facilities that they have in Romania. And then there is this new minister of health which tries to address this issue. Um, what do you think of collective? I'm yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, speaking of really just emotional, uh, wrenching films, this is one that was very upsetting to watch, but absolutely riveting at the same time. 
Um, I think it's a great example of these documentaries where the filmmaker starts out thinking that they're making a film about a specific subject, you know, this nightclub fire and the aftermath of that. But the story just runs much deeper and it totally unravels into something else that is so much bigger than that. Um, that and this, you know, this specific incident ends up having this chain reaction into uncovering this corruption within the Romanian healthcare system and the government. And it's, it's riveting, I think, um, you know, even if these revelations are really upsetting and just inhumane like the disinfectants being diluted and you know that being covered up and people dying because of it um it's just really upsetting stuff and then on the other side of it though we have this team of journalists who are uncovering um the truth and i guess you know like the journalist in me found that to be very compelling because it really speaks to what the press can do, you know, if they have the freedom to do so. Um, and as for the filmmaking side of it, I also think that it's a very impressively put together documentary because it's not trying to pull any little tricks or little things to distract you from the message, you know. And from there, it's just about what it's including and not including. Um, so I, I I do think maybe a little more follow up on the aftermath of the fire itself in the beginning would have been maybe interesting that doesn't really go into that as much. But um, I understand keeping the focus uh, more on the victims and the, the wider story being told. So, yeah, I, it's one that I don't know if I would want to watch again <laughs> for many reasons, but is so well put together and I'm so glad that we're having movies like collective and Honeyland able to be consumed and enjoyed as international films also, and not just seen as documentaries, you know, they're able to cross that barrier, which is its own barrier. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, collective. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what made it strike a chord, at least in awards, especially in the United States. It's about the neglect of state. It's about a health crisis. It's about the government working against its people. Um, mm. It's about the importance of the, the press. And I think in 2020, that it's really important. It's um, a very good point. Yep. Collective... What I love about this doc is that it knows what to show. It knows what to not show. And it's so precise. Um, the footage in the fire itself was horrifying. Um, what comes after is even more. shows ugly when it needs to to make a point and it's even more potent when as compared to when just showing ugly for sensationalistic sensibilities I can't or maybe won't remember <laughs> the maggots in the hospital 
it sunk my heart because I'm a human being with um, uh, humane sensibilities. But then what comes after is this examination and it's enraging. But the film isn't trying to manip- to, to overtly manipulate us emotionally through editing or score to have that emotion. We are organically having that response to the, what the is happening? Why are they diluting these disinfectants? And we're watching in 2020 where disinfectants is like, I need 70% alcohol, please. And, you know, yeah. um, it's this deeply disturbing thing. And the fact that the, the doc remains mostly quiet is even oh, more yeah. unnerving because you know how much mm-hmm. is going on. But then like, wait, there's this has to explode anytime soon. And yet there is this deliberate quietness. Maybe it's the subject or maybe it's the way... Maybe it's the editing that makes us... It's like we're receiving much information, but because of the quietness in delivering that, we are letting the rage sit in us, which makes it even more mm-hmm. potent because if if they're already exploding on screen, then that's your release, you know? Like, you already have, like, your surrogate in the, in the film, like, oh, yeah, he's releasing our anger. But because it's so quiet and we're almost like the journalist just absorbing information and then what are we going to do with this? with the shit that we have collected. Right. We're left with... E- e- hopefully, there is this um, worst-case scenario. We're just like afraid to live anymore. We don't trust our health facilities anymore. Um, it can be numbing. Like, what's, then what's next? <laughs> if our governments are uh, conspiring against us. Best-case scenario, we get this anger that is actually productive moving forward. And the film musters that with such clarity... Um, I am deeply impressed with the storytelling because it's no bullshit. Yeah. Right. I think you're so right about exactly why we don't have like the tricks of this, the manipulative score. And I, I don't know. I just watched so many docs because I had to for my <laughs> job of last year that had like this just cloying score to it that is trying to make you feel certain things. But then when I look at this and it doesn't have that and it doesn't have like all these crazy like reenactments and all this stuff that we see in docs sometimes, it's just plain to the point, giving you this information kind of objectively in, in many ways, even though it's from this the point of view of these journalists, um, just showing you the facts that this is what happened and it's hard not to have a response to it. And I'm glad that they, the, the filmmakers trust the audience to have that response by not doing these hand-holding things. I'm, I'm trying to think of what's, what's that doc with a cloying score that you're talking about? Mm. Um. <laughs> I'm not going to say. I think I know it. <laughs> All right. But what I think okay. I love that score. But anyway, um, <laughs> with collective, <laughs> yeah, uh, there is this um, potency and the simplicity that it takes in the storytelling and um, with that it remains this vital storytelling again I think I remember after watching Collective I just laid out on my bed like I think I'm okay um well this is not the only film this is not the last film where there is a lot to take in emotionally what's the one that you think is the closest to, <laughs> to another round well, 
process of elimination here. It is, of course, Quo Vadis Aida. Uh, yes. Um, which is the film that a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe this could <laughs> upset another round. And I think a lot of people were seeing it in that February, March area where we were getting closer to the Oscars. But uh, yeah, yeah, Quo Vadis Aida from Bosnia and Herzegovina, their second nomination. Uh, it premiered in the 77th Venice International Film Festival. Um, It is about a translator named Aida who um, helps the United Nations in their relocation of the people of Srebrenica Srebrenica, um, because there is an impending arrival of soldiers from another territory and there's a territorial dispute and then Aida tries her best to save her husband and two children but as they realize um, this isn't gonna be the smooth relocation to a safe zone kind of thing and Aida knowing the ins and outs of the United Nations must do her quickest to try to save her family all right kevin take it away what do you think of this film Um, i want to rest for now go um (laughs) yeah 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 um honestly there were very few experiences in the 2020-2021 Oscar season movies, like 14 months, whatever you want to call that, um, that just completely seared right through me um, and just got to something really primal, I think, about our existence on this earth and just the inhumanity of human beings. Um, You know, just the nature of life and death I mean, there's a few of them, like The Father and Collective. There, these are these movies that did definitely give give me that response. But this one was on a whole other level for me. Um, and it made me so upset for all of the lives lost. Since this is depicting real events that happened in the 90s, this massacre. And it's told through the eyes of this incredible, fierce woman played by um, Jasna Durasis, who was completely robbed of so many Best Actress nominations. I don't think she was like eligible because of weird eligibility stuff, but regardless, um, her face, the way she carries herself, and just the desperation that she expresses, even when she knows and we know that this will not have a happy ending, she is just maintaining this this little bit of hope, you know, and she is doing everything in her power to protect her family. It's such a powerful performance. And this is also a film that just puts you right in the middle of the action. You know, you're right there with her from the start. There's, there's not even like a big introduction, like, you know, settling you into this experience. You're right there with her. Um, It reminds me of, a few films of the past decade like son of Saul that have done similar things that just (laughs) that just drop you right in the middle and just have you experience this 
story over a short period of time and they just leave you there and it's so immediate and it's so dangerous and you feel all of that danger it's i i just remember watching this and feeling so tense throughout the entire thing and um yeah the climax of the film is honestly so unbelievable in how upsetting it is that i had to just look away at a certain point it was too much and when it flashes to a few years later and aida is in that room <laughs> it's when i even think about it i almost start to tear up again just um remembering that and she's identifying the bodies and she's surrounded by these other women who are doing the same thing it's just beyond devastating and the way that um jasmila jabonic the director lets that scene play out it just rips out your heart the whole movie is just it's so much it's hard to even talk about sometimes yeah this yeah i'm done <laughs> how do i follow that up um Oh gosh, this uh. this part should be just like sniffles and heavy breathing. That's our review of Yuvaida Zaida. Um, yeah. gosh, this film. Oh, talk about helplessness! And you know when you have the father in collective and Yuvaida Zaida, and you have them in one Oscar ceremony, like recovering the Oscars. Like, what is happening in twenty twenty? Um, oh, water in my nose. Yeah. What's happening? Um, Yuvaida Zaida. It's. It's not like anything I've seen, and I've seen Son of Saul. And I think when you cover this um, this category, you gotta like brace yourself for like, okay, there is this massacre. All right, this is like commonplace. Mm -hmm. This is historical. Just do your job and be the podcaster that who you are. <laughs> but then you get to a film like this, and just like, yeah, I, I I'm still trying to put my filmmaker hat. And try to understand how Yasmila Jbanich pulled this off. The immersive quality of this film. It's it's immersive in the best and the worst way. Because it traps you right there with them. The film doesn't even allow for... For these, uh, I don't know, moments to breathe. Well, it, it, it's, it's, the rhythm is so good. Because you think you're breathing... But then it's a setup for something worse. But the, that mm -hmm. worse is completely grounded, and you can almost see it coming when you, when you rewatch it. So it, there's this inevitability to it that makes you feel helpless. But the filmmaking is also so compelling that you don't want to look away. And I think that's how that's the best way for you to make a film if you wanna if you wanna at least provide, I don't know, documentation. Of this forgotten atrocity. Um, it's not enough to stage scenes. It's not enough for you to like recreate stuff. The filmmaking has to be there for you to understand the, the gravity of knowing that you're literally fighting for someone else's lives. And knowing that you have that privilege... And testing how much you can push that privilege in your attempt to save lives. Yeah, that's, and what mm -hmm. happens yeah, when you tension. fail. 
Right. And this this person named yeah, <laughs> sorry, this Yasa Dorichich. Um her voice it's as if it's always coming from her diaphragm and it's always this visceral like you know, it's as if she's she is giving it her all every time. And not even talking about as an actor, but as a person in that moment. Because she's not just trying to save the three men in her life, but she's trying to save the town. That is, she knows, you know, being the translator in the UN, she sees right through these. Uh, what's going to happen. And that's why she's trying to be one step ahead. And it's like this chase. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my family on the list, but then the printer is gone. So you hide here, but then they're found, but we are the list. So it's always as if the stakes just keeps on getting higher and we know where it's going to go. But it's a testament to the filmmaking how much we wanted them to find a way to escape. And then that ending is how we process those emotions. And that devastating smile at the end is just like, how do you put in a smile knowing that you're in this town where not just your family, but the people around you are literally murdered and what does it say to the next generation? This one, I know I just lay down in bed after. I didn't watch anything after. Um, when I tweeted like a gif of like Kim Kardashian, like not moving today, I was literally not moving that day. <laughs> so it's like, I'm in bed like, I, I cannot watch anything else. It's, uh, it's, mm. it's powerful stuff. <laughs> to put it lightly yes uh, this is therapy right now um, I don't know um, it got I think it would have been like a, a more formidable contender if it got a distributor earlier but yeah. you know That's yeah, it too. almost entered the Oscar race yeah. without a, it entered the Oscar race without a distributor and it was released outside of the window so unlike another round where it can get exposure elsewhere, Kovare Zaida is literally a foreign language film thing. And it's hard to watch, but it's not gratuitous. It's made with utmost respect and tribute to the, not to the death, not just for the death, but to the life of the people that were from the town. And as if the crowd, like each and every one of the, I mean, props to the crowd directors because you see yeah. All of the crowd actors have their own, like you see them give. They're so present. I think that's just the the way it is. It's they're so present. <sighs> You're right. Yeah. yeah, it's not just a sea of people that are kind of like anonymous, and you can't attach yourself to certain people. You see all these people. You see that they're living these lives, <clears throat> and um. Yeah, I, I do think that is an interesting discussion that has been had. The idea of talking and do, making films about tragic events and not having it feel exploitative and telling a story that honors victims and the people who lived through this or the people who died. 
um, and not having it feel like you're exploiting their tragedy, essentially. And that's something that like we've been talking about with the Underground Railroad, with Barry Jenkins. Um, and that is something that I think is done to full effect here is this does not feel like tragedy porn, as some people like to say about events, about films, about massacres and things like this. It's it really feels like it's honoring these yeah. people. Um, woo, so. woo, woo. Shake, 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 shake. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're good. <laughs> this is like it's a film yeah. <laughs> and um, it's an, an experience. experience. Yeah. A film. <laughs> and um, it's yeah. an experience worth taking hope. Um, and, you know, I think I I mean, I don't want to double down, but. You know, I mean, we're trying to be on a better mood now, but I remember, I think when I was watching this, the genocide in Myanmar was happening, I think around March, and it's still ongoing. Um, and, you know, in my beautiful country, <laughs> um, people have been massacred by foreigners and locals as well. So, um, like, huge numbers. And it's terrifying how, you know, it's almost as if I'm projecting my own national history here you know because there's a lot of factors there there, i think there are stories that i think are never gonna get made (laughs) because of several like political and whatever factors in the times and places that they're in but it's almost as if i'm seeing other atrocities through the film and it's it's the film teaching me, not not teaching me, but showing me that this is this is like the worst of humanity, and we can do better than this. It's not teaching us to be better human beings. It's it's not, but it shows that maybe we can at least try because we shouldn't be doing this to one another. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. so that's that's Kovaris Aida. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm closing that part. I'm closing that. That's the nominees. Okay. Next chapter. Boom. Okay. Um. Yes. We can go to the other films that were nominated this year. Also, that were not in the English language. There are at least three. No, we can. No, there's four. We can mention. Just, um. We can start. Uh. All right. Let's start with the. Um, the life ahead, from Italy. It was not, yeah. Oh, <laughs> now yeah. smile. Thank you. Um, nominated for best original <laughs> song. Uh, it was not selected by Italy. It was shortlisted, but the shortlist was like twenty five films. Uh, it stars uh, Oscar winning legend Sofia Loren. It's about um, a teenage immigrant named Momo who is put to ca- put under the care of Madame Rosa, a former sex worker, who now takes care of the children of other sex workers, and how they start to have this bond with one another. Especially with Momo dealing with um, street crimes, and then with Madame Rosa with trauma, basically. What do you think of the life ahead? I really liked the life of ha- the life ahead. <laughs> Are you okay? Um, I I'm just trying to pick up the pieces <laughs> after the Kawada Saida segment. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think Sophia Loren is so good in this. Um, I think she really inhabits this character so well and so authentically. And I love her relationship with this little boy. 
um i'm always a sucker for films about like these two people who just don't seem like they're from the same walk of life but then they discover that maybe they uh can reach some sort of understanding at least um i like to call that my uh end of the musical wicked (laughs) theme which is who could say if i've been changed for the better but because i knew you i've been changed for good (laughs) yes i just that's one of these uh themes that i always just resonate with for one reason or another and i think this is pretty effective for for what it wants to be it does have a bit of the emotional manipulation happening but um you know i think the level of acting is really what elevates this and it's a beautiful song that was nominated i will say i love eoc yes um yeah sorry um the film itself is okay um, I love it for more emotional reasons. And I love it because it gave us the chance to witness, gosh, Sophia Loren again. Mm. Like, we're so lucky. I think it's, I, I, I felt just like, like when I was watching, of course, I was at home because we're Netflix, so like most of the cinemas. But like, I feel so privileged just to be like, in the presence of Sophia Lord, of course she doesn't think that way. <laughs> I'm like, who is this person for the Philippines? I'm like, yeah, I'm honored to be in her presence. And she's so she there I don't know if you would agree with me on this. I think there are some things that just comes with age. And one of those is yeah. in acting giving so much by doing so little because you already carry a, an effortless sense of history. With a character. Um, she is... Mm-hmm. I love her so much in this film. Um, I really wanted her to get nominated. But, you know, the five or the five in acting. And that's fine. Um, I predicted her. <laughs> and then... Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really moving. I've seen the Madame Rosa episode. Which I reviewed um, a few weeks ago. Uh my respect to see Monsignore, but Sophia Loren, this, this is just a role that she was, I'm not saying born to play because she has a lot of great roles, but this is a role that just fits her so perfectly. And that inner life that she gets to explore, because I think the film only hints, you know, she is a, she's a survivor of uh, the Holocaust. Um, but it's only hinted, but in those small moments where it's as if we see her having those flashbacks and we almost just want to hug her maybe because of my association with Sophia Loren as well, but it's such a great performance. And also Ibrahim Agueye is a terrific scene partner as well. And their bond is so genuine that the ending song EOC feels earned because, and I had to search the translation of it in English because I didn't understand, but I was like cried but always in Italian. I studied Italian. I didn't understand it. Um, I know the lyrics by heart. I don't understand most of it. <laughs> but it's such a beautiful capper to the emotional journey that these two people had. And the film made me... Um, it's fine. But the center of the film, the the two leads are just terrific. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I even I said in my review that like even if it's not 
gonna change the world by any means like this isn't breaking any new ground as a film i think that that it's center there's a really strong emotional core through these performances and her especially she just has so much charisma that i have been missing in um in film for so long because she doesn't make films very often um that's her eyes are just so fantastic there's like no other kind of expressive actress like that that can really just immediately see like you can immediately sense that this person has lived a life you know more than most people has really lived a life that's the sense that i got from her in this exactly um and this song was so beautiful i I, i'm pretty sure diane warren really thought she was close um yeah so i think my only request for diane warren stop tweeting <laughs> stop tweeting some stuff and we'll campaign for you otherwise it's a no all right so that's the life ahead it's a wonderful song if not for who's a vic which is not not in it's in english so i cannot discuss it here but if it wasn't in english i would be discussing the eurovision song contest here but yeah the life ahead yes. is such a wonderful has such a wonderful song in it of course sung by the what powerful voice by Lara Vauzini, just to mention that um not the only film from Italy. Uh, we also have Pinocchio, nominated for costume design and makeup mm. and hairstyling. It's a darker retelling of uh, this classic, Pinocchio, which is about a boy who was carved by Gippetto and then a, a puppet that was carved. <laughs> I'm really not familiar with my Disney. Sorry. Um, it's about a, a, a puppeteer that carved a puppet and then a puppet came to life. And then a, a journey of the film went on. Uh, Pinocchio really wanted to explore more of life, and that separates him from Geppetto. Uh, visually, it is really doing something different in terms of committing to heavy, heavy makeup um, on the character of Pinocchio. That is not like a CGI creature that was created. That is a real live actor under all that makeup. Um and the whole film is really just a showcase of makeup that uh, that's sort of like worth the price of a mission to, to see the incredible visuals that they're able to create with this. I really like that it is sort of darker in general than what we see with a lot of Pinocchio stories, because this is a story that has been adapted so many times I don't really know why <laughs> it seems to just every every filmmaker just wants to tackle a Pinocchio story. We still have two more coming with Guillermo del Toro and Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> so it's just a lot. But um, yeah, I think it is um, kind of creepy <laughs> to watch. It's not it's sometimes it's a little bit of the uncanny valley um, that you're just like you're a little bit turned off by what you're seeing. But I love its commitment to that. I, I feel like it just completely is executing the vision that it sets out to do um, and telling a story about Pinocchio for probably adults. I would not say this is necessarily a kid's version of Pinocchio by any means. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, I'm sorry. All right. So Pinocchio, um, I've forgotten about the 1940 version. I haven't seen the 2002 Robert Benigni. Uh, some would say it's for good. <laughs> it's for my good. I haven't seen it. 
Yeah. Uh, this one, I, I would echo everything that you say. It's it's dark, but it's a commitment to the weirdness. I don't have the words to say it. There's probably some artistic movement that fits, maybe surrealism, I don't know, that fits this one. It's so committed to it that it's just the whole world is just so captivating to see, like visually, like, wow, you know, with, with everything. And um, I, I would have accepted, like, production design as well because there's just a whole world and the way the characters were created and crafted it's so wonderfully done with the film itself i appreciated the darkness because for me it gave me the stakes that i needed to appreciate um this fairy tale basically um i don't know what that says about me but it also it's also pleasurable to see like roberto benigni in a, in a good role a good with some dramatic meat this is a role that um, is beyond the cutesy father type that he might probably be associated with. Life is beautiful. This there's a lot of um, he he is in tune with the darkness of the film, and um, I'm glad you know he's able to turn in such a good performance, especially when his Oscar win is so derided. Um, I I love mm-hmm. when actors just do good work. You know, I don't want to root against actors in general. Um, but this is so visually striking. Well, I think it was also shortlisted, I think, but not submitted by Italy. Or maybe not. Um, but it's really worthy of its two nominations. And yeah. it's, my fi- it's my pick for makeup and hairstyling. That's easy call for me, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a case of, like, this is the yeah. most makeup in the category, which is sometimes, like, a, a crutch for some Academy members to be like, oh, look at all that makeup, best makeup. But is it necessarily the best makeup or is it just a lot of makeup? In this case, I do think it's yeah. both. Can I so. do, can it um, go against that? All right. So um, there are two yeah. others, but the other one I will mention later. Um, the other one is not eligible because not necessarily because it wasn't submitted, but it cannot be submitted because it's from the United States, but it's in Korean mostly. It's Mineri. It's written by Lee Isaac Chung. Um, I know some people are listening. Why are you talking about it in your podcast? Wait a minute. I'll talk about it. Um, it's about a um, an immigrant a Korean-American family who moves to, is it Arizona or Minnesota? Oh, my um, gosh. I think it's Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I love this film. Okay. <laughs> I love this film. Um, who moved there because of, because mostly because of the father's desire to start his own farm, but there's this apprehension from the wife um, because of the jobs they left, and they're again doing the, is it sexing of the chicks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that they could sustain their um, his pursuit of their dream, and then because they have two children and you know they're kind of busy at work, um, the grandmother comes from Korea to them, to take care and be with the kids while they're gone. It's nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, um, Best Actor for Steven Yeun, Best Supporting Actress, and one, you know, Supporting Actress for Yoo Jung Yoon, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Original Score. Um, technically speaking, this was the front runner. This won a lot of the foreign language film awards this season. Foreign, foreign language. language. Yes. And then um, Costa yeah. Stir when it was nominated there at Golden Globes. Um, 
All right, so we'll just go briefly. What do you think of Minari? Oh, it's absolutely one of those films for me that I took as like one of those films that was mm-hmm. under my wing that I was yeah. like always supporting. <laughs> Um, I was so, so fortunate and lucky to be able to talk to so many people behind the film. Um, I got to talk to Steven Yun and Ye Jung Yoon and Lee Isaac Chung and Emil Moseri, all these people who were nominated. And they, they just had such love for the film that they were making. And you could tell just from the way they were expressing themselves in these interviews. And... Yeah, it's such a deeply personal and emotional film that um, no matter who you are, I think you can sort of connect with this idea of family and uh, growing up and having these kind of like relationships with your parents and your grandparents maybe. And, um, you know, just trying to adapt to a new situation as best you can. And I love that the film doesn't necessarily uh, have those kinds of scenes that are like, oh, here's the family that is now facing racism in America, in Arkansas. These are all these requisite scenes that we see in films about people trying to assimilate into the country Um, you know, we still get little hints of that, but it's not, that's not what the movie is about. It's just about the, the idea of family and closeness and yeah, it just is a deeply emotional film. And I love all the performances. I think Yeti Han was totally robbed of a lead actress nomination. She is totally the heart of the film. Alan Kim also has my heart. I think all four of them should have been nominated. They should have gotten the four, uh, acting categories sweep. Um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I love also (laughs) the score I will listen to on like a daily basis. Anyway. Um, Yeah. This film, I was really impressed by this film because I saw this on the same day as Nomadland and Promising Young Woman. And this is the last film. So like lots to like, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) keep up. Um, this film I don't have the right word. I don't have the eloquence of a film critic to say. It feels like a warm hug that we all need, especially after 2020. Yeah. Because I watched it in 2021, so like mm-hmm. after 2020. Um, it feels like this warm hug that doesn't really manipulate you, but just shows you the kindness of humanity. I mean, there are, pl- I mean, there are moments, yeah. like you said, you know, when I think the characters were expecting some racist um, uh, uh, situations. But it's averted but not because it's oh it's fine there's no racism but but i think it's just being true to like oh it's it's exploring this side of humanity and this community that it's about kindness and how and you know the affecting part is you know with um i want to say their names um with jacob and monica they're both good people wanting to do good things for their family and they're going against one another at certain points, who do you root for? And how does it feel that both people that you love, both people that you know are loving, are having contradictions? And it's this, um, the complexities of like how people express love, you know, with, um, with, with, for, for Jacob, it's really, um, providing, um, 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 giving a solid foundation for the dream, for her fan, for his family. For Monica, it's being able to, 
stay in one place where near a hospital so that she could take care of the children, especially um, David. And then for um, for Sunja, it's about being a part of a family, even though um, David makes her drink pee and you know does some things and. You know, it's just full of love, and I, it the love is reverberating in every aspect of this film. That warm Arkansas cinematography, that score, that beautiful score from the beautiful I'm sorry, my bias. And then you know, I'm so jealous that you get to talk to Stephen Young. I only dream of Stephen Young. Like literally, uh, two weeks ago, I had this continuous dreams of Stephen Young. And I'm like, I don't want to wake up. And that's, that's the time I slept for like 12 hours. Like, of course, I understand why. But this Minari really is this wonderful, <laughs> wonderful film that, you know, it wonderful, wonderful, wonderful American <laughs> film that just got lost in this category because it's in Korean. Um, but I won't waste any opportunity to praise Minari because I really love this one. And I was a nomad line kind of... I, I, I was a swanky this award season. So, um, but I want to sh- share my love to Minari as well. Whoa, <laughs> share my love. All right, so there's this one more film that was nominated, um, but we'll mention it in a, in, a, in, a, in a brief moment. <laughs> yeah. So this year we had 97 submissions, 93 were accepted the most. Bhutan was disqualified, did not appear in the final list for whatsoever. Uzbekistan did not follow the prescribed format. Um, Belarus, not enough creative control, according to Academy. And Algeria's submission was withdrawn because the national premiere for that film was canceled due to COVID. So then they would say that they would compete. They they have the intention for the film to compete the following year. And in two films, uh, Portugal first submitted Listen, but then they re- and and Canada submitted Funny Boy, but both were like disqualified because too much English. So Portugal submitted Vitalina Varela. And Canada submitted 14 Days to 12 Nights. First timers are Lesotho, Sudan, and Suriname. All three African countries. Um, let's talk about the first one that was also nominated. It's The Mole Agent from Chile. It was uh, mm. directed by Marte Alberti. It's a documentary about... Um, there is this... I think there's a child of um, a, a person living in an... Um, is it a hospice? It's a nursing home. It's a nursing home. Um, it's a nursing home, and they're trying yeah. to find out if their parent is um, being abused inside. So then they hire a an a, an older guy as well, who would act as an undercover agent, who would go in the nursing home and then try to see if their parent is being abused. Um, what do you think of the mole agent? Um, I feel like I genuinely loved this movie more than most people <laughs> in my circle. Honestly, I think uh, having grandparents who lived in nursing homes and how dispiriting that can be for them. Uh, I just really emotionally connected to the idea of someone just sitting down with them and having conversations and developing relationships and just making them feel less alone. And the fact that this is a documentary made it hit home even more. Um, I mean, I think you can look at the poster and even watch the beginning of the movie and think 
that this is going to be a certain kind of movie that it's going to be a little too cutesy and it's like here's this old man who's going to be a detective and he's going into a nursing home and he's like spying and it's going to be some kind of like thriller homage kind of thing within the realm of a documentary but what it becomes i think is so much deeper um just about the need for human connection and uh how sad it is that children just drop their parents in nursing homes and barely visit them and it's like you know these people just want connection again and that is what Sergio is giving them. And I love Sergio. He is my king. Um, <laughs> he's the best. And I want to meet him and have a conversation with him. Um, yeah, I, I really, really liked this. I had a soft spot for this. I don't know about you, but yeah. I love when old people get happiness in their life um, and seeing them on film. Yeah. Um, with this one, I think it's it's just so creative for me. I immediately appealed to it. I, I, I had that it had an appeal to me. Um, it's 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 peculiar, but I don't think it's pushing it hard. So that's why the peculiarity of the subject matter itself it maintains this uh, I don't know, honesty, and mm-hmm. I don't know how you can make like a romantic comedy documentary, but this film pulls it off. Um, I love her. The, the old woman that really likes um, him. I saw myself in her. Like, I want to, to get married to him. And then like, after I'm moving on. <laughs> like, that's me. I like yes. marrying people in my mind. Um, but with the mole agent, I, I don't know. I just really was so extremely fascinated. And the filmmaking was genuinely enjoyable. Like, it was in tune. It was enjoyable, but yet. But then... It's not neglecting the deeper aspects of it, but so that at the end, it's almost we have this realization, because like, I think we also reach a point where like I think we're too we're enjoying ourselves too much, you know, from this he's he's having, and then in the end, you know, he has a quest, yeah. and then the answer is right there all along. That's a disgusting thing to say, but it's really there, and it's a it's a really honest realization that the film reaches at the end and it's so honest and it's so i don't know i'm not gonna say inspiring but i love the eccentricity of this documentary i was expecting it to be like this life or death like situation like like because of mole and then agent like this of course it's gonna be like some war thing like no it's about nursing home like oh yeah. and then we see here stuff that really touches and um i there's one of the few things that me and my mom watched where we were just like laughing and enjoying every minute of it. And I think it just mm. got a more resonance with me because the same night when we watched it after that, after that film, um, an older person in our life, we found out a news, he, he passed away. So like, you know, just like had this, all right, I'm all about old people now. <laughs> so the mortality that the <laughs> film is confronting kind of like stuck head on yeah. uh, more. Um, so that's the mole agent. It's a uh, nominated for documentary feature. Um, not the only film from the so this year, like I said, fifteen. Not the only film from Latin America that was also um, shortlisted. The other one is La Girona from Guatemala. 
It is directed by Jairo Bustamante, and it is about um, a general, a, for, a former general that executed uh, mass killings, genocide, to the indigenous people in Guatemala, who was put to trial. And then he maintains defense that, you know, he did what he had to do to gain national identity in Guatemala. And then because most of his workers are from the provinces, they all left. And then came in a new housekeeper. And then stranger things happen in that house that you live in. Um, La Girona, what do you think of La Girona? I was really rooting for for Jadorona to be nominated. Yeah. Like a lot of people, I think. Um, just a really great horror story. Uh, yeah, about like the past literally coming back to haunt you, <laughs> which is great. Um, and his family, I should add. Uh, yeah, really great sound design. That's one thing I really loved about the movie. Uh, yeah, always a sucker for good sound design. And a lot of these just great cold stares. I think that's something that I always find somewhat unnerving is when um, someone is staring at you, but you don't know why. And you're trying to figure out like what, what what's the situation here? Um, yeah, just something like weird for me that's just like oddly terrifying. But uh... I'm used to it. <laughs> you want me? Okay, I'm just kidding. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just really great visceral filmmaking. I think it's one of these films that uh, we've seen over the past few years that has been called elevated horror quote unquote, which is a very overused and annoying phrase among uh, film Twitter people. Uh, the idea that like, maybe this doesn't have like the cheap jump scares, but it still is like unnerving and it sort of slowly unravels. Um, you know, I don't want to like assign it like elevated horror because that sometimes yeah. can be a pejorative. But um yeah, I think it it really takes its time to tell its story, but it's brisk in uh, and compelling in what it's trying to say. So, I was really hoping it could get nominated because don't see a lot of <laughs> horror movies in this no, category. Yeah, and uh, five seasons in, no, yeah. and I'm like I'm waiting for something to scare me. Yeah, to <laughs> dread my existence and soldiers um, with white. That's soldiers. true. Um, yeah, with La Girona. One of the few things that the Golden Globes got right. <laughs> um, all right. I also don't like the word elevated horror because it assumes that ho horror is something that must be elevated. It's a genre filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it's it's good or it's bad. It's not must be elevated anyway. But it gave me a feeling that I've never had in any horror film before. Because. The scares weren't exactly for me. Or maybe because I like um, corrupt generals being persecuted. But um, I don't know. The feeling that yeah. the horror here is much deeper in that there is a human context that is massive. You know, there is this history of people that he killed or directed to be killed. Still, blood's on his hands. Um, the way the film constructs scares and it can be scary for us but it's not 
and it's it's scarier for the character, but it's not scary because he's the victim. It's scary because he. <laughs> it's what he deserves, yep. and um, that's a very good point. It's very pointed. Mm-hmm. It's political commentary. It's like how do you use something as something? How do you use horror to bring your point? even better than what could probably a drama do. I mean, they would be both effective, but it's a different attack to the material, to the, to the material. And it makes you feel, I don't know, more present probably because you are also having these scares, you know, you're having these visceral like reflexes in your body. And when you talk about these topics and it brings it closer to you, I don't know. I, I I am terrified. That opening scene terrified me, and it's not even a scare. It's just like like you said, it's a, that mm-hmm. stare, or maybe Bibbs Um, that the whole film is unnerving. Exactly. It's more than just scary. It's just like it's unnerving. It's there's always something wrong, and you feel it. And it's gonna be one of those. I mean, I'm looking at the list that we have right now. It's one of those films that. I would really want to rep- be represented in this category because it feels like a singular voice. It feels like I'm not sure if this is something that that Hollywood could yeah, do. That's a very good point. Probably. It could be made in, in another that's country. Why, I don't think yeah. it's so specific to, you know, Guatemala. It's yeah. yeah. The universality and yet these are the things that I want to see in this category you know things that could be made anywhere but it's not just a copy of the taste that you have in the united states in the academy awards it's weird and it's universal it's weird in a horror way not in a race way i'm sorry yeah. i just want to clear that out so um i'm i'm even shocked that this was shortlisted because it's a bold film a really bold one and they didn't go there but you know, the man who sold his skin was just doing so many more interesting things, you know? <laughs> yeah. And with yeah. skin. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Girona. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's on shutter. It's terrific. No legend is on Hulu. These are very accessible titles anyway. So the next one is, um, you know, we talked about like in Tunisia, that's not the African film where we're expecting to be here. Um, the more expected one is Night of the Kings from Ivory Coast. It's directed by Philippe Lacote. It's about the arrival of a man. I think it's his name is Roman. It's the arrival of a new prisoner in Maka, um, a prison, uh, who has his own ecosystem that led by Blackbeard. And then he is assigned to be the storyteller in the prison. He becomes the uh, the new Roman, who would be telling stories every red moon. Uh, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I really thought this had a decent chance of getting in, just because. I predicted yeah, it. Yeah, because it's also you know it's about the power of storytelling, you know, <laughs> which you'd yeah. think would appeal to a bunch of artists in the academy. Um, but yeah, it's all about this, this prison in the Ivory Coast and, um, 
I think it's really interesting when it's inside the walls of the prison and it's just this like self-contained chamber piece and it is literally just storytelling, you know, and we do get some fantasy sequences and some things that are outside the walls that are sort of representing some of these stories that I'm not as big of a fan of in general, but uh I think it's at its most compelling when we are looking at the dynamics between the prisoners, too. I think all of them have their own interesting stories to tell, um, even if they're not the one telling them. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just found it to be very hypnotic while I was watching it. I was very, very drawn in by it. Yeah, um, it's it's so beautifully its own yeah um the most thrilling parts i i i i think i'm a bit okay more okay with the 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 fantasy sequences but i understand where you're coming from the actual storytelling when they're gathered together and then suddenly the prisoners are enacting a scene and there is this unpredictability to it and this quirk but there's a darkness involved it's not it's not funny it's it's this own dynamic in the ecosystem of the maca it's there are moments of thrilling cinema here visually it's 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 stunning um i don't love it but the sensible people who love it do (laughs) i mean sorry the people who love it are also sensible people there's so much to love in this film um, and it's thrilling to see like you know even when I was one I wasn't personally clicking with everything I, I'm, I'm glued to the screen like I want to see more of this like you know it's a it's a it's 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 stunning to see and it would have been such an exciting nomination because again it's like it's something that the storytelling is so on its own that um it's not like any of the other nominees. And uh, it's refreshing. It's just refreshing to see Night of the Kings. And I'm glad it's, also, it's on demand. So it's available to be seen anytime you want. Yeah, that's that's my relationship with Night of the Kings. And um, I just want to add that you know I just reviewed... Oh, this is going to be really soon. Yeah, I just reviewed Black and White and Color. The first and only win a nomination from Ivory Coast. That was a directed by a French director, <laughs> mostly a French production. I would have been enthralled with a filmmaker literally from Ivory Coast to represent Ivory Coast. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one film that you also mm-hmm. saw. Um, some people are predicting it, rooting for it to get in. It's Two of Us from France. It's directed by Filippo Minaghetti. It's about... Lesbians. What are their names? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to get their names. It's about um, neighboring um, women, Nina and Madeline, um, who are actually together for decades now. But then uh, Madeline has this, uh, I don't know if it's a stroke, which keeps them together, uh, separate. And now Nina tries her best to have the most time that she can with Madeline. Yep, and yeah. what do you think of that? 
Um, yeah, well, it's funny because last time I was here, I was talking about another lesbian drama from France, <laughs> Portrait of a Lady on Fire, as previously mentioned. And here I am again. Um, again, not nominated, unfortunately. But um, yeah, this one is contemporary. So there's that. Um, and it's about, uh, yeah, just an older couple that are just. Mm, it's just it's something that sort of means something a little bit extra to me. I'm always kind of a sucker for stories about like forbidden love, especially gay love stories and the dynamic of this also being an older couple who are coming from a different generation who are not as willing to be open about this. Uh, yeah, it's just really graceful, I think, is what I sort of landed on as a film. It's it's very sensitive and delicate and quite touching. And it's just a, another one of these films that's also highlights how unfair it is, this world, <laughs> that we get we we have this really beautiful relationship that has lasted for decades. And just the mere fact that it's two women is um, what ultimately has to separate them for so much, even though they are the most important people to each other. It's just uh, really tragic. But I think the the two performances are really strong, doing very different things. Uh, but in a way, it's it sort of reminds me of something like Amour, which is a very depressing film, as we know, but in the sense of what those what the dynamic is between the two characters where one of them has clearly had some sort of medical event happen to them. Um, and the other one is trying their best to take care of them. This one has the added obstacle of her not being her legal wife. She's not part of the family. So she, it's harder for her, but um, yeah, I just, I don't think this is like great cinema necessarily, but it's one of those films that meant something mm -hmm. to me. So I watched this one a while ago. Um, I was again sleepless, so <laughs> I'm always on the verge of like not being able to properly assess a film. I'm like, are you falling asleep, sir? So with this one, I saw it in the morning, and I was expecting it to be a tender film. Yeah, and it yeah. was. You know, it's it's very genuine of its depiction of love, and I will always be rooting for LGBTQ people fighting for the right to live together. Yeah, <laughs> because that's my goal in life. <laughs> it's like it's a dream. Um, what surprised me is that it goes into darker places, especially with Nina, and how how far she would go so she could be with Madeline. And the darker it got, it became more touching for me, because this isn't this isn't just like a film taking a dark turn. It's desperation out of love. She sees Madeline is doing, not only doing well with her, but not doing well without her. So in this quiet story that's mostly set in an apartment, one floor in the apartment, there's a lot of stakes involved and there's so much danger of what she does. Um, I don't agree with, every, with all of her actions. In theory, I might do them. Uh, but 
the core of the film is so pure and these two performances are so good and they go along so together and there's this motif of like I will follow him which just like takes on a different meaning every time it gets replayed and surprisingly uses sound as a conduit of its storytelling in surprising places like oh wow you know there's this you know this sound design moment that I wasn't expecting from this um contemporary lesbian drama not a period lesbian drama as I know um so with that I'm I'm impressed like I said I'm not as sore as it missing but it is really touching and I would have understood it if gone with this direction uh two of us ah pretty beautiful also I do think I was a little more upset about it missing just because it was part of a unfortunate trend in general of the Oscars this year, which was like a mostly complete lack of LGBT centered cinema. <laughs> like in general, there was a lot of uh, misses. I mean, I know people didn't feel great about Ammonite, but <laughs> some people were predicting that for a costume design nomination. Um Welcome to Chechnya. The fact Ugh. that it uh, missed out in documentary and visual effects. The visual effects is what what gets me a lot. Yes, because that actually like completely was very relevant and mattered significantly. The effects in that movie. Um, so I don't know. I think it was just in concert with all of these other films about um, gay people and. The fact that there's so many missed, I think, is why I was a little bit peeved about two of us also missing. But yeah, that's my piece on that. Yeah. And then I I, I was lucky to get the chance these two other films. Uh, Dear Comrades from Russia, uh, directed mm-hmm. by Andrei Konchalovsky. It is about the depiction of the... There is a massacre that happened in, in the Soviet Union at the time. Um, my yeah, and it is brought by the KGB, and they killed factory workers, and it is about and the center of the story is this um member of a uh, member of the communist party in the local committee, a staunch communist, who sees um the protests and the leading massacre in Novacher. Novacherkask in 1962 um, affect her personally. It's I was expecting to be like, oh, this is gonna be this is the Russian nominee that just brings down my mood for this day. Um, kind of does, but it's this wonderful filmmaking. It's not a as a big of a downer. I mean, of course, murdering people is a downer, but it's a downer in a different sense, and it's really engaging. And I would have. This was nominated for a, a spotlight award at the ASC. I would have taken this over that nominee in cinematography, and then there is um the trial of Chicago yeah. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> you the <could> hesitation, <laughs> like we're still there. Yeah. Um, and then the other mm-hmm. one is A Sun from Taiwan, directed by Chung Mong Hong. Um, this wasn't really a big contender until probably at the end of 2020 when critics started rallying behind the sun it's on netflix dear comments on, on demand two of us i think also as well a sun is on netflix it's about um uh, a young man brought to juvenile detention after he was the accus- uh, accomplice 
of a criminal who cut someone's hand. So then he spends his, his life in juvenile detention. And then how his family outside grapples with that. Um, there are strong opinions about this one. Uh, I know in our circles who love it, circles who hate it. I am more in the love it part. Again, this is probably just me being Asian. Uh, I understand the melodramatic nature of it. The, the sprawling, multiple characters kind of dramatic elements. But it also upsets expectations continuously. And it's so bold where it goes. Um, I'm not surprised this missed. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's a lot. But it's, it's like I would align this with La Girona. These two films that are obviously so individual you know and the voice that carries them and unashamedly themselves that i would love to see theoretically speaking at this category you know because you know when you talk about best international feature, oh the best of world cinema well not really when you talk about the process of it it doesn't really exhaust the options but i would prefer the second option would be like get the films that are excellent and at the same time so of its own, you know, it's it's so unapologetically Taiwanese, for example, and yet it transcends and has universality. I would love that. And then um, apologies to Charlatan from Czech Republic, Hope from Norway, Sun Children from Iran, and especially I'm No Longer Here from Mexico. I was having sleeping problems this week. I wasn't able to watch you for, especially I'm No Longer Here. I tried watching it. Um three hours before the recording, but I was running on 3.5 hours of sleep. I cannot. I'm sorry. It's on Netflix. Um, I, I'm sure I would love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You tried. Yeah, that's the short list. And then a while ago, we talked about like, on the films that probably suffered from the lack of the save from the committee. And people, especially film Twitter, point to two films. This is not a burial. It's a resurrection from Lesotho and Vitalina Varela from Portugal. Lesotho is a first-timer. Portugal is the f country with the most admissions with no nominations. Um, this is uh, to... Uh, upon, I think upon reading on it, they're very auteur-driven, which doesn't always agree with this category. They like their world cinema still accessible or like kind of at least in sync with a classic Hollywood narrative filmmaking. Mm -hmm. so um yeah and then there's a few submissions here of course i cannot do like the uh, i cannot do like the sizing of the all because like 93 gosh but there's apples yeah. from greece asia from israel starring shira haas the wonderful shira haas atlantis from ukraine it's on demand beginning from georgia it's on movie blizzard of souls from latvia surprisingly shortlisted for original score i don't know what happened um, the Endless Trench from Spain, also Netflix. The Man Standing Next from South Korea. The the reigning champ, South Korea. Um, it's on mm -hmm. Amazon, I think. Uh, it's, a, it's a political thriller. Um, My Little Sister from Switzerland. Never Gonna Snow Again from Poland. Starring the Russian guy from Stranger Things. I forgot his name. Oh. And this is the first submission official submission so this became like a default front runner because like there's no, there's no other film submitted yet until another round came in and then natorno from italy the one that italy actually chose it was shortlisted for documentary feature once upon a time venezuela 
from Venezuela, of course. It's a dock again. I saw this. This is a really eerily close to the political situation here. It's about a dying town in on a lake. Like dying in terms of like the population are leaving the town that is on top of a lake. And the, pol- the politics is so corrupt. And there's this po- corrupt mayor in there. It's really um, eye-opening at least. It's nothing new, but it's also eye-opening. Probably something that third world, uh, for me, you know, coming from a former colony of Spain, also in the third world, it's something that I can relate to. And then also from Latin America, Song Without a Name from Peru. True Mothers from Japan and then Wet Season from Singapore. I think Wet Season is on Netflix. Um, so this is this last part is going to be just quick because this year, I love this year in film. Uh, 2020, I mean. Uh, it wasn't a good year for a lot of people. Understandable. And also not a good year for the industry. A lot struggled. But we've got some great cinema that was available. Um, if you want to talk about some of the few here. Um, this one was shortlisted by France as well. Cuties. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Uh, Certainly know a lot about it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the film that fired up the Republican Party in Tulsi Gabbard mm-hmm. um, around September. Um, love this film. It's about a group of young girls who... Decided that they would join a contest, and because they are exposed to sexualized dancing, they thought that there would be a good idea to do the sexualized dancing. And then another one, um, this one was shortlisted for documentary, The Truffle Hunters. Um, it's yeah. really beautiful. I like that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then shortlisted again, Seventy Six Days from China. It's about the start and the peak of the coronavirus pandemic COVID-19 in starting in China again welcome to Chechnya uh, shortlisted for visual effects and documentary feature one of the most important usage of visual effects ever and one of the most stunning reveals quote unquote (laughs) Um, which just left me and my mom shattered we cannot my mom couldn't believe that this is current events and I'm like yes (laughs) it's true and it's it's really disheartening. Again, kind of like Kovalis Aida. Hopefully the anger that we get from Welcome to Chechnya <laughs> is productive. And we start to become more aware and not um, complacent. Because maybe in other countries, you know, we're enjoying more liberties. But in other countries, like, being gay means death. I mean, I, I mean, a few weeks ago, um, there is this 20-year-old beautiful man from Iran. Iran, 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 Iran who was beheaded by his cousins because he found out he was gay. An ugly time to be in it. And then Ghost Tropic from Belgium. For some reason, Ghost Tropic has this strong fan base in a very specific section of film Twitter. And then um, this one was a Netflix hit, The Platform from Spain. And then um, um, France also shortlisted Summer of 85. Um, I haven't seen it, but... Uh, the lead is a twink, so I will watch it. And then Undine, First. of course. Why twinks are like my dinner. Undine from Germany. It's um, directed by Christian Petzold. And then Peninsula from South Korea, the sequel to Train to Busan. 
uh, the disciple from India. I, I think I believe there was a surprise that he wasn't selected by India at the time, but this the disciple is now released on Netflix just the last April. Yep. And then Mexico has this great problem of choosing what film they would submit. Um, they had New Order from Mexico. It was a, a released by Neon. Identifying Features, which is about the war on drugs. And one of my personal favorites from this year, I don't know if you've seen it, I Carry You With Me. I do. I have seen that. Uh, yes, I want to hear your thoughts. On, uh, yes. I Carry You With Me. It's, um, it's, a, it's a hybrid of fiction and documentary. It's about um, two gay people who meet in a party and then they separate geographically. And then um, the lead, the lead um, actor... Um, does his best to go to the United States so that he could join his partner. Um, it's directed by Heidi Ewing. Um, it's on. It's released by Sony Pictures Classics. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts because you've seen it. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, another really beautiful story that I actually do wish was this submission <laughs> because I really loved it. Yeah. Um, Another one about sort of forbidden love. <laughs> and um, yeah, just how they both decide individually to go to New York for a better life. And yeah, um, the way that the the format changes towards the end of the film is something I wasn't necessarily expecting in a way. But um, the fact that it becomes primarily in that form uh, surprised me. This, this really epic love story that's just literally about the power of love yes. and resilience and as cheesy as all that sounds totally totally emotional for me oh. and it's a true yeah. story so um again i i was just lucky that a friend of mine for some reason um decided to join the spirit awards and then mm -hmm. they get screeners for this one and they could like invite a plus one to the virtual screening and i was the plus one uh, and there you go and i've seen it and i think i've said this a lot of times in this episode which like probably diminishes the <laughs> the weight of it like i haven't seen anything like this before <laughs> um it's so beautiful emotionally visually musically um the way it it transforms into yeah. something i know yes I, I was watching it and i was like doing also this with my heart when i was watching it i couldn't believe that um i was able to get to see it and it's going to be screening on june 25 i'm really promoting right now in june 25 in limited release i think um after multiple moving of schedules and then it got a uh uh, qualifying release in December <laughs> last year, but I really hope more people will get to see this. Um, I don't know. I think, I think once I get to see it again, it will be really one of those my go-to uh, queer stories that I would hopefully rewatch again and again when I forget that I'm queer and I'll rewatch. Oh, I'm actually queer, and then it's just this really beautiful, and I'm excited to share this more, and I'm I'm excited that this would be released soon. Mm -hmm. I know I've just said beautiful a lot of times and that doesn't mean anything, but it's, it really is. Um, it's deeply moving. And um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen the submission yet of Mexico. I haven't seen the other ones shortlisted yet. 
but yeah. even as a standalone like. film, like not as a submission, it's it's my number four <laughs> of that year of twenty twenty. So like it's really beautifully done. I cannot believe my luck that I was able to get to watch it. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm so happy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I'm just gonna mention like a few of the titles that were released. They were not eligible. Bacurau from Brazil, Emma from Chile, Martin Eden from Italy, The Truth from France, The Wild Goose Lake from China, and then your name engraved here in from Taiwan. All right. So we've talked a lot about this year. There's a lot. <laughs> I know. A lot. Um, do you think another round was deserving of this win, this category? I think it's a fine winner, but I don't think with this competition that necessarily i would pick it so i would say no <laughs> yep i was fine standalone but then there's uh there are films that i prefer more um obviously i think if we've reached this point in the podcast you know what film we're talking about but yeah. let's just for formality's sake let's just hear the five that we got what's your what's your number five the man who sold his skin yeah that's my five yeah <laughs> what's your four better days yeah that's my four wow and what's Look your at three mm, this is a little trickier but i i would say another round is my three. Oh my gosh that's my number three and your two and one <laughs> my two is collective and my one is kovara saida all right, this is boring. We're bo- we're on wow. the same page. A exactly perfect match. on the same page. <laughs> perfect match. Goodness. Um, yeah, Kovare Saida is this amazing film. But in the films that were not nominated but were shortlisted, would you pick anything above Kovare Saida? Or is it going to be still your pick? I think that would still be my number one of the shortlisted films. Um, yeah. I mean, if if I was to look outside of that... I do really love Baccarat and I love I Carry You With Me. So those would certainly contend. But I don't think anything matches the power of Quovada Saida for me. Again, not to be boring, but I'm on the exact same page. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we just clicked. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, Kevin, I mean, not, not only the rankings were perfectly matched, but thank you so much for joining me. Of course. For, for talking about this year, this uh, this this. Uh, this film this film um yeah. you know we kind of talked about like the race but ultimately i love talking about the films just as films me too and i'm so happy we're able to talk about a lot of these and um kind of over time but thank you so much for your time and i really appreciate it and um can you get a tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet well i'll just say congrats to you on creating this amazing show i know how hard it is to commit to this and you really have and i commend you for that we have kind of similar shows and uh, i understand the commitment that it takes so well done on you um and you can find me yeah at kevin underscore jacobson and please follow my podcast and the runner-up is where we talk about the best picture race instead of international film so like i said pretty similar Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Um, yeah, I really needed someone to help me with this year because this year has been overwhelming for film for me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Sahana, this podcast at One Inch Barrier. This podcast is everywhere. And um, yeah, next week, a third bonus episode is coming. 
That's exciting. 2018 and some. Yeah. So again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now. And where is it? And together, let us break the one inch barrier. Thank you.